Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Drum for the Song Podcast. Welcome to episode 7 of Drum for the Song Podcast. I am your host, Dane Campbell. Today's guest is local Welsh drumming legend, Bob Richards. Bob's got some amazing stories from his bands and his career. Probably the most fascinating ones, well, definitely the most fascinating one, is when he got asked to play for ACDC for two of their music videos. That was just a few years ago. He's currently playing in two bands, Buck and Evans, which are really good. You should check those out. And Son of Man. He was also actually in Man. And he's also played drums for a few other guys. Graham Bonnet, Adrian Smith and Dave Edmonds being a few of them. Uh, We talk about loads of things in this interview. Some of his influences, how he started playing drums. We talk about all those stories that we just mentioned. He also has a funny story about how he was asked to drive around Black Sabbath drummer. Bill Ward. So that's a pretty funny one. So make sure you listen for that. I had a pretty long conversation with Bob this time. So I'm not going to talk at the end like I normally do. So I'm just going to go through a few things before I get on with the interview. So first of all, I just want to make sure that you know you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Drum for the Song and Dane underscore drums. Or you can find me on Facebook under Dane Campbell Drummer. And I've also got an official Drum for the Song Facebook group on there as well. If you've been enjoying these podcasts and would like to support me on Patreon, you can go to my Patreon page forward slash Drum for the Song. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash Drum for the Song. Uh, There are a few tiers you can choose from. You can make a little monthly donation and I try and give you something back in return. Some of the options include a monthly Q&A session with myself on Zoom, an opportunity to ask one of my future podcast guests a question, early access to the podcast episodes, guest list tickets to Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sun headline shows, and I even do a monthly bonus episode. And I'll give you a shout out. So I actually want to give a shout out to my higher tier Patreons right now. So thank you to Dean S. Monaghan, Rudy Pauly, Gareth Richards, and Dan Hurst for being my top tier patrons. Thanks so much, guys. It was nice to meet you on the Q&A the other day. But if you're not comfortable about a monthly donation, that's cool as well. There is another option that you can support me via the ACAST supporter feature. So if you go to supporter.acast.com forward slash drum hyphen for hyphen the hyphen song, you can just make a one-off donation on there that ends up getting to me at some point. And it all helps. I've just bought a new USB audio interface out with some of the money that was sent to me via Patreon. So thanks so much. Hopefully you can tell that the voice sounds a little bit better. I've borrowed a mic off my brother Todd, but I would like to buy my own at some point because he wants this back. If you've only just discovered this podcast, feel free to go back to earlier episodes and make sure you've subscribed. You can listen to my older episodes featuring Nigel Glockler from Saxon, 
Ryan Richards from Funeral for a Friend, Michael Moose Thomas from Kill the Lights, he also used to be in Bullet for My Valentine, Matt Sorum used to be in Guns N' Roses, Velvet Revolver and The Cult, and Ash Sheehan who plays for Glenn Hughes, The Twang, and he also plays drums and sings standing up in a band called The Dead Sea Skulls. So like I said a few minutes ago, this is a pretty long episode. So just enjoy it, take your time, whether it's over a few days or, you know, a few little sit-ins, it doesn't really matter, you don't need to rush through it in one go. I never do when I listen to other podcasts, so just take your time, enjoy Bob's stories, you have a good laugh as well. Um, Yeah, so I'll speak to you on the next episode, I guess. Drum for the Song Podcast so hello, this is Drum for the Song. I'm here with Bob Richards today. How's it going, Bob? All right, Dane. Thanks for asking me on this. Um, I'm very uh, humbled, to be honest with you. Ah, no problem at all. Yeah. Appreciate you agreeing to do it. I think um, a lot of people will be really interested in what, what you've got to say and what to tell us about your career. So um, for anyone who, who doesn't know Bob Richards, uh, he's, he's fairly local to me in Wales. That's how, how I know him. Uh, he's had a, quite a long career. He's played in a multitude of bands with, you know, quite, well, very, very big stars we'll talk about in a minute. Um, he's played with Graham Bonnet, Adrian Smith, Dave Edmonds. He was in Man. He's now playing in Son of Man and Buck and Evans. And uh, he was also in an ACDC music video for the song Rock or Bust, which is an incredible story which we'll talk about in a little little while so um yeah yeah so i got my, my notes here dane because my memory is like a, a save man that's completely cool when, when you're 115 like i am you can't do <laughs> that's all good yeah so you know we, we, I, t- I make notes as well so it's all cool man so don't i gotta ask my that. wife what i'm doing tomorrow <laughs> Any plans for tomorrow? No, you don't know. Um, Go ask her. I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. So uh, we'll start. We'll start the beginning then, if you don't mind. What? How, when did you start playing the drums? Like, how old were you, and how did that happen? Right. Um, my grandfather was um, in the air force. He was a Spitfire mechanic in the air force, right? Which is really cool. And um, he was in the air force big band as a drummer, and. Um, obviously been playing you know all of his life and i remember when i was like um i think three and a half years old that he, he bought me um a toy kit when you get in the catalogs you know with like the, the cardboard heads and the plastic shells and stuff like that and i remember destroying it i remember i put the beater through the skin and stuff like that and um and then when i was four and a half he gave me um his drum kit um when he bought a brand new one he went to i think he went to leicester to the premier factory or something he went up north something to buy a brand new premier kit which was um a b303 in gray shimmer which i've still got all with the original heads with the original cases and stands and symbols and everything wow and i still got and when he bought that he gave me his kit which was a kind of an amalgamation of premier and ajax now the kit the white one was, um, I think it's, it was late fifties. It was, it was a quite, quite old. I still got it. And I've just had it refurbished oh, wow. and recovered by a good friend of mine, Dave Pauly, um, who, who does, you know, most of my kind of 
you know, refurbishment work on my kits now because I, A, I haven't got the time half the time and I haven't got the room anymore because I got so much in the garage. It's like, oh, you know. Tell so he, he gave me this, this drum kit and um, I remember him showing me um, single strokes and double strokes over my shoulder. This is a mama dada and this is single strokes. Right, get on with it. I need one drop, you know, and I just like be, be thumping away. And um, uh, I remember then playing in a school I stayed for in 72, um, taking the drums to school and playing in front of people for the first time. And I was just so nervous, can't tell you. And, you know, um, it was horrendous, really. <laughs> but then I was playing, um, practicing in my bedroom, just listening to records. Um, the, the song that comes to mind is Hellraiser by The Sweet. I used to play that a lot. Oh, cool. Um, and my my grunge played in the uh, clubs, you know, and he said to me one day, he said, um, come down the club and have a listen. Sit over there, have a watch, have a listen, and then you can have a little go. Of course, his, his great Shimmer Premier kit was there, and uh, he said, right, I'm going to have a pint with your Nan, because Nan was working behind the bar, so he'd, he'd have a pint, and I'd get up, and I'd be like tiny behind this little drum kit, and playing Foxtrot's, you know, quick steps, uh, waltzes and stuff like that, rumbas, tangos. And that's how I learnt, basically. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, learnt from playing in the house, listening to records, then to, to play these songs. And I didn't really have a clue about the business, drumming and, you know, whatnot then. I was just watching my grads playing and thinking, well, that's what i got to do then. That's, that's how to do it, you know. Um, and I, subsequently, I, I was there for, four and a half years. Then I ended up playing um, four nights on my own. Then I went to another club three nights a week at 12, um, you know, playing. So then we had artists coming in, singers, guitarists coming in, so I had to learn how to back them. So then that's where my instincts used to, to was, was trained, basically. So I'd be watching the singers or the guitar players and watching every move and just, just kind of firing off things like that, you know. So listening skills, and that, that goes back to then, you know, teaching and stuff, you know, learning how to, to listen and, and apply, you know, stuff. Um, so I did that for donkey's years and then um, got into to metal and rock uh -huh. and, you know, rainbow yeah. um, and stuff like that. And I, and I went to see rainbow. It was a school trip to, uh, or it wasn't necessarily a school trip. It was a gang of mates from school went to um, Sophia Gardens and watched rainbow. And it was March the 5th, 1980. I remember it well. Uh -huh. and, uh, it, there he was. Cozy Powell with this gigantic chromium market. Graham, Donnelly, Glover, Roger Glover, Richie Blackmore. I was like, wow. It just, just blew me away. And then we were lucky enough to um, to go to Donington in 1980. Oh, wow. To do the first Monsters of Rock. That was, was the first one. Yeah. Amazing. And it absolutely just just blew me away and, and kind of kind of forged my, my musical path, you know, for want of a better word. Again, Cozy was up there with that kit playing those songs from the Down to Earth album, it, it just like, it's still one of my favorite albums today. Eyes of the World, you know, Since You've Been Gone, all night long, all those things. Um, and who'd have thought years later, I ended up play, playing those songs with Graham on Cozy's kit on a that's tour. A, that's insane, yeah. Because you, you, that, that's, that's the kit you own, right? Well, yeah, but I've got one, Cozy had loads of kits, obviously, and I've got right. the, um, the, the Chrome Yamaha from Whitesnake. Right. So, the closest one that he picked up in about 78, 79. Can you just, 
repeat that just just because it um the, the, the yeah, ran funny yeah sorry i think um cozy picked up his first yamaha in about 78 right when ronnie was still in the band and then um he had that up until 83 in white snake and then he had a new one which is what i've got no he's 20 30 feet away from me now in the garage in coached up um and that's what he used on the slided in stuff you know uh, but i know we slightly digressed there but uh that's basically my background in terms of um you know when i was young and learning um i, I couldn't read a note of music and i didn't even know there was drum music back then not a clue right but that's why i relied on these yeah and these mm. yeah and this yeah no totally um but i but i i also had a guitar when i was eight and mm. i i loved playing my guitar and then I had an electric guitar when I was like 11 or 12 and learning smoke in the water and learning riffs like that and playing all the, or learning the rainbow and purple stuff. Um, so I was a big Blackmore fan, obviously. Yeah. You know, and there was a time where I was thinking, do I want to play guitar or drums? Do I want to play drums or guitar? And I was like, I thought, nah, I'm not getting any better on the guitar, but I was just getting better on the drums. So obviously drums uh, was, was number one for me, you know. Yeah, that was, the, you could obviously see a natural progression on that yeah. instrument. I think I felt I had the similar thing when I was young, because I always dabbled in guitar in my family. And I remember, you know, I was playing guitar and playing drums, but I think I naturally find, found myself attached to the drums more. And I, and I just felt like I was improving more quickly. So it's probably a similar story yeah. to, to yeah. me. And well, well, I tell you what, what the playing in the clubs did for me. Um, it just gave me chance sometimes and maybe right or wrong, but it gave me a chance to 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 play. I'll say quiet and subtle, but people think him. He's a noisy git, but you know, using double strokes and, and playing around the kit, and it gave gave me a chance to to learn all these little double stroke things with the fingers and the wrists and using the bounce, yeah. as opposed to not having that opportunity and yeah. not knowing the double strokes and the bounces and stuff like that and the fingered control. You know, to get to get the speed and stuff. So, yeah, that's so I'm really grateful for for all that because it was a great lesson. Definitely, yeah. I think I I didn't even know what a double stroke was till I was like my mid twenties. I know that sounds stupid. I've been playing in bands, yeah, yeah. but if no, if nobody told you, yeah, no one told me what it was. You saw someone do it or and actually did it yourself. Yeah, you know I think I mean? I think I may have like developed my own little style of of maybe doing it, but not knowing what it was. But when it, when I actually came around to like looking into rudiments and things, because no one taught me those either, yeah. um, it was it's it's and now now I would like to kind of go back and study everything properly, which I I've, I've always said I will do and I haven't done. Well, I got my TD thirty in the conservatory. If you want to come over? Nice. No, I, <laughs> I, you. I, 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 I I don't know all the rudiments at all, right? Yeah. Um, because I'm thinking again, right or wrong, there may be drummers out there say, oh no, I don't know what he's all about, but. For me, there's only like half a dozen rudiments that you kind of use, you know, uh, more than anything else. Yeah. You've got your single strokes, double strokes. And I, I'll, I won't include paradiddles because that's a set pattern. Yeah. Singles, doubles, flams, yeah. rags and roughs. They're your basic ones that you use more often and are more yeah. useful. Yes. Um, all the other things are there just to train your hands to kind of to do things, to do clever things. But then... 
are there places for clever things in rock and roll and pop music or I don't know then we get into a whole new category then you know what I mean yeah totally and, and it's partly where I like I've always played in rock bands and I guess commercial kind of music and they I feel as if 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 I see a band or like a rock band and their drummer is maybe utilizing every bloody rudiment and playing fills left right and center I think like I class I class that as like overplaying I know I know yeah. it's a subjective yeah. term and I, I'm always like well it's not really fitting with the music properly but I still wish I could do it if I wanted to well yeah I mean there's <laughs> that there's yeah. that you know I think yeah it would be nice but um, at my age, you know, 115, I haven't got the time <laughs> or the inclination to go in there and go through every drum book I can find or that I own. Right? Yeah. Because I think, well, would it benefit me playing with Black and Evans, Son of Man at the moment? Because no, I, I played with the song. Yes, exactly. 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 Yeah. So, um, but yeah, we digress slightly. But when I played the song, I, I try and let it come from there. Yeah, and everything I do is off the top of my head, even when I'm recording. I just say, just let it go, and I'll see what happens. Nice, <clears throat> um, because I can't plan things. I'm not that type of drummer. Uh, I, I won't think right. I'm going to do this fill to go in there, that fill to do this, that that that, like a jigsaw puzzle. It's just it, because it's like an emotional thing. Mm. It's how I feel, how the kit sounds, the response I get back from it. All that is mixed into it, and then it's like, oh, yeah, I'm feeling good because, like, when I've done gigs where everything was like right on it, I've come off stage going, "Wow, that was wonderful." Hmm. And yet, I've done gigs, and you, you've been the same, you know. You've done gigs where the the monitors are awful if you've got any, right? Yeah. It doesn't feel right for some reason. The room's not very good. You can't hear anybody, and it's like, oh, I didn't play very well, or you overplay, and then your hands are gone. You know, you're pounding the shit out of your drums because you can't hear them. Yeah. And, and But you don't even know what's coming out in front. No. But then your, your hands are gone. It's like, oh, I've just, just blown my cookies now. I, I, I can't do any more. You know what I mean? So yeah. I do try and relax. I, I close my eyes. I pretend there's nobody there. And I just just relax. And then things will start to fall back into place again. You know? Yeah, that's good advice. Sorry, we did digressing all the time, but uh, no, no, this is fine. This is um, that's the kind of stuff I want to hear, really. So that's that's a really interesting way, especially I think when you said you record when you record. So if you've recorded, see when you recorded Buck and Evans' album, presumably you've rehearsed the songs a lot with the band. Yes, well, we play we play them a lot and rehearse them a lot. Um, but still, I have to say, none of those fills are nailed down. Right, so you're still improvising. On the oh, on the recording, yeah. That that's that's an act word because I think improvising is is one of my strengths, you know. Yeah, well, that's good. Because um, playing in the clubs when I was a kid, and in the maybe the last ten or fifteen years, starting to do the odd jazz gig here and there with a small drum kit, playing with a piano player or bass player and a guitarist, having to play really quiet using finger technique and stuff like that. Um, it um, God, I was going then. Hang on, I was there. Now I'm here. Imp- so. Improvising, yeah. yeah improvising, about, yeah. yeah. Um, I played with some incredible jazz guitarists and bass players and piano players, 
and then we feed and off each other. Yeah. So the guitar player may do look at me and do a pattern, and I'll replicate that pattern. Then we, we trade, and then there's a trade in force. Every four bars, you, you do solos and stuff like that. Um, and I love that. I do yeah. that all day. I love it because it's all coming from there, from there, and I'm using these and those. Yeah, and it's you just know? an immediate reaction to what yeah. what's going on. Back, yeah, back the back and heavens things like um, nothing's nailed on, and whatever comes out at that time, you know, that's what it is. Awesome. Um, because Chris didn't want to use a click track. Right. All, didn't... The, all the albums I've done in the past have used clicks only because it's just ease of use. You know. Oh yeah, definitely. So, um, so we did, we did the back and heaven stuff and it was all live. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Dominic and Chris played them live wow. in the studio, right? Chris overdubbed his guitars later on because he wanted to just hone in on his solos and get things. Um, <laughs> Dominic, Dominic was pretty much there or thereabouts. Um, but if there was something, for instance, I wasn't happy with, we'd have to do the whole track again. Yeah, you can't drop in. No, we didn't. Can't do drop. I can't, can't remember what we did. I mean, I've done drop-ins without yeah. clicks before. I just oh, played a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, we ended up doing the, the drums and bass in about two or three days, I think, or three and a half days or something like that. Good, yeah. Because we play... We play each song maybe two or three times, and then we'd like, you know, that was the best take then. So that's like strike that one down, and then we yeah. move on. Um, I don't know if I'm like 100% uh, happy we're doing it that way because I like click tracks because I can go in and listen to what I've just done and go, I didn't like that feel going into that yeah. section. And you can and you... go in. And I'll drop it and redo it. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah, that's that's how I work normally. It's kind of much easier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um... Because when you're behind the hit and you've got those headphones on, you're not being objective. You you're not in the in the room listening. You're actually playing it. You're not listening to it. You're playing it. Mm. And until you go in there and actually do that, you go ah that bit something's wrong there. Something yeah, like that. And you just go and drop it in and just, just yeah. do that a little bit again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then you just, just tidy it up, you know. But, That's what I'm more used to. Yes. Um, and that reminds me of the, the, the last session album I did was about about a month ago now for Carl Sentence down in uh, Sonic One Studios in Italy. Right. So uh, we could talk about that right now if you want. About yeah, let's, about yeah let's, let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah, go on then. Yeah. So um, I've known Carl... 30 plus years now and we worked together in the past at the Cozy Bash and and, um, and stuff like that and uh, he rang me up he said I wanted to do my solo album I said oh awesome I said well I've got a, a TD30 I said I've got Logic Pro on the Mac he said oh brilliant he said I've got Logic Files he said I'll send you the tracks and I I then played um, see the, the drum parts on the Roland and learned how to do it on the on Logic and then sent them back. And then we, we would hone in the parts to like a 95% kind of, you know, situation. But I did say, so look, Carl, if, if there's a fill I did off the top of my head there, it may not be the same in the studio. The circumstances are different, emotions are different, days are different, it's a different room. Yeah. 
Uh, just the so re the fact you're playing on real drums with real cymbals is yeah. massively yeah. different. Yeah. yeah. We kind of we nailed the grooves that way in there, you know, based on patterns and stuff like that. And then um, once we got the demos done, he then emailed me back MP3 demos with the electric kit. So then I would just play it in the car now and again and whatnot and drive into the studio. And I, I try not to get too deep into learning them because I'd like to be kind of free-ish and kind of top of my head at that time, you know. Yeah. But um, it was a great way of doing it. And we got the drum sounds up and ready at 12 o'clock or I was 12 on the Monday, I think. I was done by Tuesday, that was fine. Wow. The whole album. Smash them out. <laughs> and, was, and what we did then, once we did a take, we'd email it to Carl. I'd have a cup of coffee and about 55 million bloody chocolate uh, obnobs. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim, Tim used to have them delivered. Well, he still does, delivered in bulk. Really? Obnobs, yeah. I said, Tim, this is horrendous. You can't have these. You're about to go away. So addictive. So we'd send it to Carl and he'd, like, he'd come back and say, yeah, that was cool. Or we'd come back and say, uh, that bit. Have a look at that bit. Can you maybe do this? Yeah, all right. So I go in and redo the part, send it over. We go, yeah, that's it, and that's that's how we did it. You know? sounds, that sounds pretty uh, quite easy. Well, considering that was during lockdown, right? So that was yeah, doing so yeah. So that was, yeah. So um, that sounds like a nice way of doing things. One, one thing. One thing I was going to ask: when he sent you the demos, did they have like bass guitar or anything on them? Yes, yes. He, he put a drum machine on there, bass guitar and uh, guitars. He did himself. So, so you, got, you had like a baseline to follow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. But um, to be honest, I, I don't follow. You don't follow. See, you no, no, fair follow enough. They, they, ah. I'll, just, I'll just do what I do. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah, as, long as, it fit, as long as it works. Yeah. And, and Carl said to me, he said, um, don't worry about things like that. I mean, I'll play around. Because he had to redo yeah. all the parts anyway. So you so play he, around. Yeah. Your, yeah. He will then play tighter to the drum track nice because that's that's how i think dominic did it you know when when he went back and listened to some of the parts he redid his, some of his bass i think around some of my fills he'd say oh well i can i can play something like that fill eh? so he yeah. would kind of do something with it you know cool yeah yeah that's a good thing with the son of man thing they you know they put the bass around uh and what's going on you know yeah you can you can, it's, you can stick out quite a lot if the bass is playing you know, something that's straight and then you do a triplet fill over it or vice versa. And so it's good to be able to, you know, adjust, yeah. you know, amend that then when it comes to laying down the bass so it doesn't happen. Uh, Having said that, mind, it's also nice if you've got some kind of um, steady pulse, like an eighth note or a quarter note pulse, and then you play a triplet over the top of that. Yeah. The fact that playing a triplet over a straight sets it, sets it out. Yeah, well, everybody, sometimes it fits beautifully. Yeah, yeah. If, if I mean. everybody follows the lines, then it's a it's a mess. Like, and, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't say it's a mess. If everybody was dancing to the same tune, kind of thing, there's no. Oh, I can't find the right words. There's, there's no kind of. Not, it, not it, distant, that's the wrong word. Um, it'd be too. It'd be too like rigid, wouldn't it? I think if everything was playing the same. Yeah. Everything was the same rhythm. I know you mean you wanted yeah, to flow, exactly. flow, flow better. Yeah. Well, but, exactly. I mean, which Phil Rudd. Yeah. Bang, 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 bang. Awesome. And then Angus's parts are syncopated 
over the straight groove. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Then gives it the power. Yeah. And the, wow. But if Phil and everybody followed everything the guitar riff was doing, and that goes for every band, it would like, hang on, everybody's doing the same thing. You need you need something that's solid yeah. to build everything else on. And something yeah. something needs to stick out and stand out. Yeah. And I mean, no. as I'm getting older, I'm still 115, but I'm thinking, <laughs> I go in with the, the least busy part possible when I'm learning something or we're writing something together in a room. I just play a straight groove. See what's going on. Yeah. Feel what's coming next. Simple fill into the next section. Simple fill out of that section and just just feel it like that. If, if I think, do you know what? It doesn't need anything anymore. Then that's it. But when I was younger, I was like, I want to be the fastest, cleverest. What can I fit in there? You know. Yeah, I think a lot of younger drummers are guilty of that. But this, you know, yeah. when they when they when they're new to it, and then you mature, eventually. Well, hopefully, people mature into what you just said. Yeah. But you can't, you, you can't kind of, you can advise people. You can't make them do it. You can advise them. Mm. But until they find out for themselves. Yeah. You know, I learned the hard way. I learned not by my kind of. Out then. I, I learned. Out. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I learned the hard way by kind of working with all these better musicians and, and you know, more well-known players. And I learned from them because they would say to me, how about trying it like this? I go, okay. Oh yeah. And I would learn like that. Play, play it simple. Work things in the right time. Um, and then, like I said, when I was young, I just wanted to be clever and fast. And I've got a, a video of me when I was like 17, 18, playing in this bloody um, rock pop competition. And when I watch it now, I'm like, that's not how to play drums. Right, that's interesting. Have you still got that then to watch? I've still got it, yeah. Mm. yeah. No, I'm not going to put it up. No. You're not going to put it up, okay. <laughs> yeah. um, it's like, I'm going, yeah, it is fast. Yeah, it might be clever, but it's totally wrong. Yeah. But nobody told me. Nobody told me at all. I'm thinking, that's the thing. If, 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 the, ma if the rest what? of the band that you're in and maybe not necessarily thinking in that way either. They're never going to tell you to calm it down or because they, maybe they think is really good. Oh, look, I got this great drummer. You can play all this stuff. Yeah, but it doesn't mean anything. No, no it doesn't mean, no, I, I agree with you. But I mean, if, if, yeah. if you're, if the rest of the band are not really concerned, yeah, you're never really yeah, going to get, they would say, Oh, look, oh, we got him playing drums rest. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, you know. I, you know, I've seen, I've seen that happen, you know, lots of times and um like if I, i've played with loads of loads of bands over years like on different bills and then i find someone says oh yeah they've got a wicked drummer and then i'll watch them and i'll be like there's too much going on there i you know do you think you think that's good and technically yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, technically it's great but it's not good for the songs or the band no and it's you know it can potentially spoil it so i think that's that's the big learning curve and i guess technically what the podcast name is in, you know, that's yeah. where the inspiration comes from. Mm. Um, and I think there's a lot, there's loads of great, like technically great drummers out there. And a lot of them know, know how to calm it down when they need to. Um, yeah. Is, oh, yeah. Which, don't, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. No, you know, most of them can. Everything, yeah. They, they can 
they, they can calm it down. Yes. You know? But, but, but um, I, I just, it just sparked me up as I make. Um, little story, years and years and years ago, I was just packing up in the lesson and stuff. And um, one drummer came in and the kit was there. And um, I wasn't teaching or anything, but uh, he said, oh, I'm doing my grade eight. So he said, oh, brilliant. I said, you know, while I'm packing, I'll have a play along to this, like, you know. And I, and I stuck on, um, I usually get them to play along to Bee Gees, you yeah. know, stuff like that, like, like Staying Alive, for instance, that's a, for instance, because it's got a straight, straight, nice straight groove. Yeah. Um, and I stuck that on and uh, started playing away. And I'd stop and I said, no, give it four on the floor, straight dates on the hi-hat, two on four on the snare drum. Okay, press play. Straight four on the bass drum, two on four on the snare, straight eights on the hi-hat. Nice, just do a move. Oh, okay. He said, it's hard, isn't it? I said, welcome to the world of drumming. Yeah. <laughs> that's that record had probably sold 25 million. Yeah. And I said, it wouldn't have sold 25 million if somebody wanted Exactly. You know, that's not to degrade the player, because you know, to be able to play all that stuff is incredible. Um, but I just haven't got the time or the patience or the inclination to learn any of that. Anymore. Yeah, yeah. There's a place for it, you know. They're, oh, yeah, they're called drum solos, and you know, all these drum, you know. I I don't like drum solos myself. I mean, I played I played enough, yeah. um, but I I'm not happy about doing them because I feel self-conscious about it mm. is it because again it takes back to the um where's my mind at that particular moment in time how do i feel um how's my hands what the kit sounds like have i got good monitors and if i'm if i'm totally relaxed and i got a fantastic sound and feel then i then i can i can i can play you know but if things if my hands are tight the kit sounds terrible the monitors are bad i ain't in the mood i don't want to do it I don't want to do it yeah um and there's times where I've had to do it, you know, every, every, every time we play bananas with man, I don't know if right. you know that song, you know, your dad would know it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know it, but yeah. It's an old staple man song where right at the very end, Terry Williams, um, obviously, he's another guy you need to get on, Terry. Really yeah, nice. okay. Um, so Terry would do like a bit of a drum thing at the end. And of course, when I joined man in 97, um, I went on the tour then in early 98, like five weeks across Germany, um, playing two and a half hour length sets every night. Two and a half hour, wow. Two and a half hours, right? And I remember we did 17 dates before we had a night off. Um, two and a half hours. And by the end of the tour, we did a live album, and I knew everything that what Mickey Jones and everybody was doing, so I, I knew everything inside out. It was amazing to, to learn it like that. But, um, um, uh, Lost track again. Where we cheat my brain. That's no, right. Yeah, you were saying um, about the drums. You have to do a little drum solo, oh, yeah, yeah. drum break, break at the end the of the end. song. Yeah, bananas. Break right the very end of the set. Um, so again, some nights I thought, yeah, that was brilliant. Other nights, oh god, that was crap. How how long how long was the section you had to? Oh, the drum to, thing. Yeah, yeah. It could be as as long as I want. Oh right, okay, right. Or I felt, but usually about a minute. Okay. Minute and a half, you know, yeah. depending where, where I want to take it, 
which it depends how I felt. Yeah, and that's cool though. That's cool. If I felt really good and loose, and the crowd's great and the PA's great. I'll just have a laugh then, and I'll just take it somewhere else on a tangent. You know what I mean? Mm. If I'm not feeling brilliant, I'll just keep it really short and do just something really basic, and then just end and just get on a beer. Yeah. You know. But but when I when I I remember oh, when I was lucky enough to do the tour with Graham Bonnet, I was on the phone to Graham. I was sat here on the phone for like an hour and a half, and then we talking about set. He said, "Are oh, you going to do a drum solo?" I said, I don't want to do a drum solo, Graham. Oh, yeah, you've got to do a drum solo on Cozy's kit. I said, I'm not doing a drum solo on Cozy's drum kit. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna... Yeah, 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 yeah. Go on, go on, go on. You know, and I was like, oh, fuck. Sorry, language. But, um, so you, can, you can swear, it's fine. I was, I was a bit like, oh, my God, drum solo, drum solo. I don't want to do a dedicated set drum solo. So I said to Ian, the guitar player, I said, look, I've got to do this this thing. Graham's nagging me to do it. He said, well, how about let's play Kill the King as an instrumental. I don't know if you know Kill the King from Long's Rock and Roll album. I think I know, yeah, yeah. Double bass thing. So he said, we'll do the instrumental Kill the King when the band will stop and you carry on. And I'll just... Play Within that kind of little... Yeah. use must mean... Only two minutes, two and a half minutes, and then I would come back out, and the band would come back on, and Graham would come back on. So just maybe to give Graham a break, I don't know. But um, again, on that tour, I mean, the kit was immense. I mean, sometimes I was like, oh no, it's coming up, it's coming up, it's got to be, it's got to be cool. Because my legs sometimes were like concrete, and it was like. We had two or three minutes of yes. Like it's hard to, it's, it's, exactly, it's hard to keep that up for a long time. So slamming hell out of this, and I think, oh my god, my solo's coming up now, but my feet will still be going right the way through. And there was times I thought my legs are going to fall off. The lactic acid built up in them. I thought I can't keep this up. But I bet, yeah. Just head down. I just blink it out. You know, it was burning sometimes. I mean, that's probably me not being match fit. Well, I was going to ask, do you do, 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 you, do, you do warm-ups and stretches or anything before shows? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes I don't. Um, Some, yeah, I know you mean. Sometimes it's just I, not. I do, I do a lot of that. Yeah. Just gentle, kind of, and, and things like this. And then twirl sticks in my hands, do the, that stick thing and cool. shake my arms. And yeah. it's funny because... Um, do you remember Deke Leonard? You probably don't. Your dad. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Your dad knows Deke. was in Man for years. And when we were touring, just before we go on stage, knowing that I got a two and a half and hour, two and a half hour gig, I'd go I, I stand up for this. Yeah, like, that's okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be in the dressing room. And I'd be doing this. And I'd be just, just jumping on the spot. You know, just, just doing this. And, and Deke yeah. had his guitar, had his guitar on, and he'd look over his glasses and he'd go, what are you doing? Stupid boy. <laughs> I said, I'm warming up, dude. I'm warming up, you know, because he, he would just he would stand there. It's not a new guitarist, you know. Yeah. For two and a half hours, you know, some of the songs are 26 minutes long. Bloody hell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 8, 10, 12, 26 minutes was the longest one. And the groove on that was. Oh, so that. Full on. Yeah. Wow. So I, I guess I was match fit at the end of those two, I was, yeah. You know. 
it takes it takes a, it takes a few shows, I imagine, especially if you're. Yeah. I guess you can rehearse, but rehearsal is not the same as oh. a gig. Now, rehearsal, do you know what's weird about it? Um, I found this when we did a tour. If we hadn't played together for, it could be weeks or months, right? Not played. And we start the tour off, we go to Germany. First gig would be amazing. Up, just like, wow, we haven't been away. And then it went downhill from there. Third gig, everybody's forgetting bits. Oh, really? Oh, everybody's God. Dying. What's going on? And then it would pick up again. You know this, you, you know, on the tours, it, it could start there. And then we go, and then it go. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's, it can vary. Everybody needs to be in the right headspace and everything needs to be good. If everything's good, then it's flying, you know. Yeah. yeah. I think one, one thing that could potentially affect that is kind of like sleep and, you know, hang out, you know, drinking oh, yeah. and hangovers. And, and that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what plays with your brain and your mind. So people are forgetting yeah. stuff. It's, I'm not saying it's, def, it's definitely due to stuff like that, but if you know if you've had a shit night's sleep, or yeah, well, we sometimes we go out for a meal at like two o'clock in the morning. Exactly. So you're not you're not, you're not getting a proper sleep, are you? You go to sleep then about about seven in the morning, yeah. and you're going to be up at ten to get on the van on the van or the bus to do another three hundred miles. Exactly. So that's you know that's. I remember you know. once I got picked up um, at the house here, and we drove all the way through the night. Right across uh, East Germany, Southeast Germany, right near right. the Czech, Czech Republic somewhere. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we managed to grab a couple of hours kit in the hotel, went down to do the gig, knowing that straight after the gig we had to pack down, get in the van, drive through the night to Hamburg. Oof. And we arrived at 11 o'clock the next morning in the hotel. And we were all like this. And when I well, I'm like, I'm like a giggling fool. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, we sat around the breakfast table, just coming in before we even had a kip. And I just started grinning and then just burst out laughing and giggling. And George, George Jones, he'd go, oh, he's off, he's gone, he's lost it, he's lost it. And I'd be just dribbling and sleeping. I'd just oh, no. Slightest thing would set me off. Sleep deprivation. Yeah, that is a big yeah. thing, man. Then we'd have a couple of hours kept and then straight down to the gig the night, in the night then, and, and, and do a two and a half hour show, get a bed about four o'clock the next morning. Well, you know what it's like. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm a bit more strict with myself now. I think I'm the, fir- I'm the first one to bed in the band. Yeah, pretty much. it's a bit different now, I think. It, yeah, it's like we're, not, we're not really a massive party band, you know. We, we, we always, we, we tour on a tour bus nowadays, but that's mainly the logistics. Instead of driving through the night in a van and not being able to sleep where you can sleep. It's mainly that for that reason. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm usually the first one, first one actually in, in my bunk. Well, I, I tell you about tour buses, right? Uh, in 2000, I think it was October 2000, we did a five-week tour of Germany. We were supporting Eric Burden and the animals. Oh, yeah, yeah. This was a man. And um, this was all on a tour bus. And it was horrendous. I, I didn't like the tour bus at all. Were you scared? No, no, oh. none of that. It just, they all smoked. Right. I don't smoke. Hmm. So you could, you could slice the air, like yeah. chunks of blue. It was, it was horrendous. Yeah. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't go to sleep when I wanted to. Yeah. Because they'd be up till stupid o'clock. Yeah. And then I'd be up early 
and it'd be everybody be sleeping and i'd be yeah. tiptoe around the place and I'd, I'd get out roll out of my bunk go straight into the catering and um have a yogurt and a coffee and just think all right what am i going to do now till half past three when i got to get my gear out i know, you know yeah I, I, I just wander around the town then, you know, just... <laughs> it's nice in a way, though. It's quite nice to clear yeah. your head and have a wander, but it'd be nice to do that with your mates as well, <laughs> yeah. if they weren't in bed. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah I, know, I know what you mean. It's kind of... I'm, o- I'm often one of the first ones awake. My brother Todd gets up quite early as well, and he, he tends to go... He likes to go take his camera and walk around the city oh, or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is nice. It's a good thing for him to do. So, so sometimes I'll go with him and... I try and I, try, I don't know I'm I I'm not really into it as much now, but I used to collect like retro video games, right? So that was yeah, one I thing. Know. I used to see you post it. Ah, there you go. Yeah. So that was so one of the one of the things I used to enjoy about touring was I try and find like a a retro game shop in that town. That would yeah. be my that be my mission for a couple of hours, just to try and find it and see if I can get a bargain or whatever. And Neil Singer does the same thing. But um, it was mainly just to have an activity for the day. Yes, exactly. Rather than sit around and do nothing. Yeah. Um, or just, you know, because it, 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 like, it's quite weird how quick the day can, can potentially go. Yeah, you've got yeah. like, you can put your DVD player on or whatever. And like, my dad just chills out and watches DVDs and stuff. And or he has a nap or whatever. But um, it's a good way to actually get out on your feet and have a wander with, with yeah. some form of aim. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I mean, I walk around lots of the major cities in in Germany and stuff, and it's wonderful to see the architecture. Yeah, I mean, one one place we were at, I forgot the name of it because sometimes it's all like a blur in the end, and you don't. Of course, no. I I was at the ring home and say to my missus, "What day is it?" She's Wednesday. Yeah. Or, you know, and this one town I was in reminded me of a universal horror film set, the Frankenstein films. Oh, really? Absolutely beautiful. I love all those whole, older horror films, you know, but, uh, oh, God, I said, look at this. You can imagine Boris Karloff walking down the street, like, you know. Yeah. It's stunning. I mean, it's, you've seen it. Funny. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I haven't seen them all, but um, yeah. we've done a fair bit of Germany, and they, but there's so many, well, there's such a, such a big country, there's so many cities, like we, we, we've probably done maybe half of the main cities. There's another half to do at some point. Yeah, and, and I found it to be um, a very clean and tidy place. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. Beautiful architecture, uh, lots of space, and oh, just stunning views, you know. I mean, we remember we'd sit in the, in the bus, like, headphones in, listening to music, just looking out the window going, wow. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it is, it is it's a beautiful country when, when you're there, and I think I don't think it gets enough recognition as in such a beautiful country like i never really thought about it like that before i'd really and switzerland switzerland's oh, stunning it's another level switzerland isn't it yeah it is yeah no offense <laughs> no offense germany but yeah, switzerland yeah. is amazing yeah. <laughs> like vis- for vi- visually it's yeah, oh, it's incredible yeah. but um we haven't done switzerland that much um it's a bit of a pain because of the customs thing every time it seems like I, I get a little bit stressy about we have to do our merch counting and you have to declare and you've got to pay the tax on the border just to do one show and then and it's such a pain right especially when you go in and out in the middle of the night because a lot of those borders are not open in the middle of the night so mm. you've got to you've got to try and find one that is just so you can drive in and do all the official merch stuff i think you know there are a lot of bands who 
would just try and do it illegally and don't declare anything but like i can't i i can't justify risking taking out kind of risk really because you can get big massive fines if you get caught so yeah probably in switzerland yeah yeah you definitely well you definitely can i've heard of bands that or they even you could even get fined for like making a mistake like or you know, see if you miss out oh, a box. Missing a verse in a song. Oh, no, no. Yeah, probably. I've, I've done that, mind. Have you? <laughs> nah, we, probably all, we probably all have. We've all done so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I did, I did that with man in the, I think it was Cheltenham Town Hall. I think I went into a different section too early and they, it was funny because Mickey Jones or Dick, they just turned around and go, yeah. grin at me, you know? That's good if, it's, if that's the way they take it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he didn't just like... Great. And um, that night, I remember knocking my ride cymbal and stand off the drum riser. I've done that loads. Sometimes we get, you know, the risers are never big enough, are they? No. Said, it's maybe deep enough, but it ain't wide enough, dude, because I, the kit goes this way as it goes back. I get, I get that. And I, I always, I, I never understand, because I don't even, you know, me and you probably use a similar setup, I guess. Like yeah. one rack, two floors. Yeah. I, I use like four cymbals, maybe. Yeah, so not nothing massive, but yet I still struggle to get it on these little. Yeah. I think Europe's yeah. a little bit worse. I think they use because they use meters. I think you get like a three meter wide, or maybe two meters. I forget, but it's always harder in Europe. I find, whereas I think a lot of the British ones they measure everything in feet, so you get that a little bit extra. Mm. That's what I've noticed. Um, and we always have to, sometimes it gets mixed up because we put our advance up for what we need. And it's quite often I get to a, a venue in, especially Germany or whatever, and it's just a little square. Yeah. So sometimes, so sometimes I'm like, oh, just scrap the riser. We won't bother with the riser, yeah, yeah, which is yeah, a yeah. shame because it does yeah. look better when you're on a riser and yeah. it separates you from the, the band and the amps a little bit better. So sonically yeah. it makes more sense. Yeah. But if I've got to cram my kit on there or I feel like I'm going to fall off or... You know, my, what I normally do is gaffer tape my China symbol because otherwise it will, it'll fall yeah. halfway through the set and then you gotta, I don't want to crack my symbol. I don't want to, I, I remember years ago, symbol fell off the riser. The edge of the symbol went straight through a cable. Okay, I think it was either an amp power cable or I don't think, yeah, it, yeah, it must've been an amp power cable. So the amp goes off. And like yeah. that, and no one, no one realizes that's what's caused it, you know, until mm. a few minutes later. And then, so yeah, you don't want anything falling off a riser. It's a nightmare. No, uh, I, I probably fall off the back of a riser as well a few times. You're all still now, froze. It's froze, yeah. Hang on. Did you say you've fallen back? Off, did you say you've fallen off a back of a riser? I, yeah. I, I probably have. Uh, I probably have. Ah, right. I, I you know, you, you get on the ride, you're lucky. You know, but um, yeah. I remember falling out of a van. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How? How? Van. how? Yeah. Um, I can't really remember. Probably if after the gig, going to the hotel, probably I'd too much Jack Daniels. Ah, fair, fair enough. Rolling out of the van, and um, what else? I remember. Oh, I was with Buck and Evans. Oh, yeah. I went the tire pressures or something, and somebody opened the van door and it slid back. Oof, gosh, that's nasty. Bang me on the bones. Yeah, you're doing that. Yeah. 
I've had I've had a few injuries. I think on the the last British tour we did, um, I think it was Norwich. I put it online, so you might have seen it. But basically, I went up to do my sound check. That was one of the tours where I've I've got my mate Dai who does my drum. He sets up my drums for me, so I've actually got like a drum tech. Mm. He does, That's he does, a luxury that is. When you got a good tech, it's awesome. It's a luxury. It's a luxury. He yeah. kind of doubles up as a guitar tech and a drum tech. But he oh. sets up. He sets up the kit for me, which is nice. It frees up an hour or whatever for me, mm. and he packs them away for me at the end. But yeah, so it was a right. It was a big steps up to the stage. I think the stage was maybe ten feet high, maybe a bit, maybe fifteen feet high. Um, and then yeah, I walk up onto the riser. There's a big black curtain behind the back of the stage. Or, and sometimes there's a wall. I think I just assumed there was a wall. And I stepped and up. Went, didn't do it, did you? I leant into it or something happened. And I fucking, I landed on my back, luckily. I completely messed my ribs up. So I had to, um, luckily I was all right. I went, I did go, I went for an x-ray the next day. I played the gig in agony, played the gig. Oh. We were a bit worried because I kind of passed out on the floor and I, I'd got, I'd gone unconscious and stuff. Really? But, um, yeah, yeah. I knocked myself out, and I, I came to then, and I think they thought I'm all right. But they did call an ambulance, and I was like, once I came to, I was like, I don't need an ambulance. Don't waste. It. I don't want to waste their time. I'm all, like, I'm, I'm a bit shocked. I'm hurting. My ribs are hurting. I think I cut. I cut. I had a big gash in my arm. Um. I, yeah, but. Uh, I still got a bit of a bit of a scar, but um, yeah. yeah, I did the gig. We went to get an X-ray the next day just to check because we had about a week and maybe a week and a half left of the tour, and it was like, well, just just check I'm all right. And they said it was just bruising, so I just bruised my ribs and stuff. But um, it's crazy. You've got to be careful. <laughs> but that was just because I just assumed it was just a black curtain. I assumed there was a solid. There was something solid behind it. Which is my fault for assuming, because um, most well, gigs, most, most gigs, there's a big, big sign up. Please don't leave well, the, the curtain. Yeah, well, some I thought, because then I did think, oh, maybe we should. Uh, like, the, like the venue, they didn't. They kind of checked out. Was alright. They didn't really apologize for like they're not being, they're not being marked out properly. You know, like mm. normally they they. Yeah, because there was no, that was it. The back of the stage didn't have like a tape or a marking to say white, this was white, white yeah. tape. So we put that down, we put that in ourselves then after this happened. And that's what they should have done. Because most stages, there's white tape around all the edges of the stage and they didn't do that. So I did, I did think, oh, maybe I should sue them or something and get it, try and yeah. make a few quid out of it. But I didn't, I didn't get around to doing that. Because yeah, we don't make money in this business, do we? Well, that's the thing, yeah. Like we, <laughs> I know I, it was part of me thinking they probably struggling, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm lucky enough. I'm, I am technically professional now, just about, well, now I'm not doing the coronavirus, like packing cheese for a living, but, um, I was then, but like, you know, just scraping by just about, you know, how it is, but, uh, but part of me was, like, oh, I do feel a bit bad if I was trying to sue a music venue. <laughs> Because they're all struggling, it's all hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I just left it in the end. I'm all right now. So, but it was at the time it was scary, and I just thought, you know, someone else. This might happen to someone else. Well, I fell off a stage. Um, you know, a stage ramp. Yeah. They're loading in. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was carrying um, a drum riser frame, 
collapsible frame up the ramp. The ramp, it moved right to the edge, the lip of the stage. So oh, I see. It went. Oh my God. I think it was a, probably about a six foot stage. Yeah, yeah. But it dropped like a stone and I let the sink go and I, and I, I grabbed the monitor on the way down. Oh, and that fell off as well, did it? Yeah, luckily it didn't land on my head. Right? Yeah. Um, I hit the floor with a boom. I was like, I was okay. I mean, but I still lied, it could have been worse. That could have been, oh, bloody hell. Okay, normally there's a good overlap. I know what you mean when the... Yeah, but they the, just... The usage just edges backwards. Mm. You know. I never thought about that. I've always thought they're really secure, so I've, I'll be careful. Well, probably this day and age is, you know, health and safety now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, that's what I thought, you know, with the, the other thing. Like, why, how is this being passed as safe? But, um, yeah, fair enough. It froze momentarily just for about yeah. a microsecond. It's going to happen every I can't do much about it. Mm. The, the wife's probably watching Netflix or something. <laughs> Probably. Mine's watching Netflix upstairs. Oh, is it? Oh, you, you must have better internet. Yeah. Um, My son is in in the conservatory playing Marvel's Avengers on the PS4. Oh yeah, any good? Marvel's Avengers. He had it the other day. It's a new new game, isn't it? My friend was telling me about it. I'm not really into yeah. Avengers and stuff, but um, oh, that's cool. I I can't play anymore because no. since they've gone to those analog. Oh games, yeah, yeah. I can't. I like driving games. Yeah. I can't steer a car like this. Anyway. Yeah. I'd rather the old touch pad. I can't do it. So I just don't bother you. Fair enough. I, I, I still love it. It's one of my it's one of my hobbies, apart from drumming, it's my other main hobby. But um it's just it's hard to find time when you're grown grown up really to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did treat myself to an hour yes yesterday on it, but um yeah, I think luckily when I, I when the analog sticks came in, I was like still a teenager, so I kind of adjusted Oh, he's amazing on it because he spends about twenty-seven hours a day on it. <laughs> Get it? Yeah. Jealous. That's all I'm going to say. Well, yeah. So what? Let's talk about obviously the band. Like we've we've already mentioned both of them, Buck and Evan, Son of Man. They're kind of current full yeah. well full-time bands that you're playing in. Mm. Yeah, you released an album last year, didn't you, with Buck and Evans? Was it the year before? Yeah. Uh, last year. Not- I think it was last last November, I th- yeah. think. And the Sanaman album that came out early this year, I think. Uh, don't get me yeah. wrong. I mean, George is probably going, no, you idiot. It was. No, I don't. But yeah. they, p- p- people can go and check them out now. Um, yes, there's, there's obviously, you know, websites and, you know, Facebook and Twitter yeah. and Instagram for those bands and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and they, they uh, I, can't, I think. It's on Cherry Red, Esoteric, or the Son of Man album. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the Buck and Evans one is our own label. We did it ourselves. That's cool. How, how did that... I've always been a fan of doing things that way. So I, how did that work? Did you, do you think that worked out positively yeah. in the end, by choosing to do it that I mean, way? To be honest, Chris and Sally worked out most of that kind of stuff. But um, I think it gives us more control. Definitely. You know where it goes. You know because we just license it out now. <clears throat> you know we can we can just license it out. It's also all it's all on iTunes, Amazon, and all that stuff. Both of the albums are. You know. Yeah. So. Um, but what's yeah, good is obviously you. Nice, and obviously the good thing is that the sales go directly to you. Then not to a label, and then you get a tiny well, royalty yeah. royalty yeah. from that. So that's the, that's the, a good benefit. 
that's that's the plan. But you know, again, in this business, you don't make any money. No, nah, it's not. Yeah, especially with streaming and yeah, all that yeah, rubbish. Fortune to, to put gigs on, it costs a fortune to get the gigs, costs a fortune to do everything. But you know, back in the day, um, with bands would sell hundreds of thousands of singles and millions of albums because that's the only way you can get a listen to it. No, it's, it's, it's completely different. Yeah, it's completely different. I think, um, like I, Neil, Neil, our singer in our band, he's, he's, he manages a, a pop band as well. So he gets access to all the, like the charts every week, the album charts and the single charts and obviously all the numbers, the sales are declared. And like, it's, it's nowhere near how much the actual amount you need to sell to get in the charge charts yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so small compared to what yeah. you would assume from back in it's the day 37 copies though isn't it? something it's, it's, it's not far off honestly yeah. you know yeah. like back in the day when like slave would release a song it would sell half a million yeah i know and yeah. now if you know if you get you if you sell a few thousand you can get in the top 40 and stuff it's yeah. it, that week you know run for the show but that Podcast. shows how how much has changed from back in the day i think um i think the back in heaven's album was Got in the top five of iTunes. That's cool. One, one particular chart in iTunes. I can't remember what it was. Nice. But I think, oh, that's cool. But like, I'm going to need myself to get in there. Exactly, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. You can have as many streams as you like. You probably are in about half pence. It's not, well, Spotify is, I think it's not point, not, not five pence a stream. So then if you say four or five of you in the band, Divide that by five or whatever. Yeah. It's just like that. That's what we're working with. Zero, 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 point zero, zero. Yeah, honestly, it is. It is it's something stupid like that. And then if it it's a, if it's allowed, late, it? yeah, it shouldn't be allowed. It shouldn't be allowed. It's just you know, he's raking in the billions. That fella. Yeah, I know. His his bands and musicians are just struggling. Just, so if he's well, well, I don't get it. If he's raking in the billions, the Spotify guy, it shows that it is generating money. So why isn't that money? spread out to the artists i, I just don't understand how it can't be done more fairly because he's obviously making he's making money from the subscription i pay a subscription i pay like 15 quid a month to do it and like and like i do use it a lot luckily i use it for podcasts and and stuff so i, I kind of do utilize it but it shows how much money is generating so i just don't understand why the royalty is in more fairly spread out because yeah. It's just going yeah. to one bloke, basically. It's not. It's not fair. But I mean, unfortunately, yeah. that's the way the industry works. So your yeah. your bands are forced to use these things yeah. because that's how people consume it. And if you're not yeah. on there, you you know you're gonna have less people coming to your gigs. They you know true. less people buying your merch because they're not gonna find you. They, yeah. or they're not gonna hear about you. Or, yeah. So you're forced to include yourself in it, even though if you don't really believe. That it's a fair thing to be a part of. Um, it, that's, I've been that's... buying some, um, some. I've been buying some vinyl again. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You know, just just albums from back in the day of yeah. bands that I kind of knew of, but I didn't really get into that much. Right. So I'm kind of it, it, again. It's, it's it reminds me of when I used to go to Woolworths to buy the latest album or something of whatever band. Yeah. And, like take it home and stare and read everything on it and play the record and stuff like that. Um, so these albums are from 40 years ago that I've never heard. 
yeah. but from bands that I've kind of seen at Donington, but never really paid that much attention to. Okay. So now it's a new album for me, and it's 40 years old. I know what you mean, yeah. So, so I got all that to look forward to. I mean, it's probably because I'm ancient. It's like there's, there's not a lot out there now I'm interested in, really. Like, as, in new, new, as in new music. As in new stuff. It's, yeah. Some good stuff out there, but it's finding something that clicks oh, yeah. for you is, it yeah. is difficult, yeah. Um, I, I'm similar in the way that there are some bands, I think, oh, they're really good, but they don't quite hit me there for me to kind of think oh, I want to go and fa- follow them and buy all this stuff. Yeah. I, I, mean, you know, I, I like, um, people used to say to me, oh, what music do you like? And I'd say, well, Mozart to Motorhead. Yeah. That was, that's what I say to them. I say, well, if it's got a, you know, music has got to have a melody, right? And it's got to have a groove. Yeah. Feel good. If it's got those ingredients, good melody, good groove, and you can whistle the tune. It's good. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is all you need. Yeah. Uh, and I am a sucker for melody and, and, and stuff like that. Oh, well, yeah. And good hooks. Definitely. Yeah. Well, that's, that's especially com- like commercial kind of stuff. If it has a hook. Well, it's the same with rock, really. A lot, a lot of these new like rock bands, or they call them like classic rock bands, but they they're new band. Some of yeah. them are so yeah, the, exactly. hook, yeah. Yeah. the hooks yeah. are incredible on. Yeah, and it's it's essentially like pop music, but with guitars and people they've all got long hair and tattoos and stuff. Yeah, but it, I don't know, it's, it's good. In the to eleven, yeah, no, that's good. I like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's cool, and um, I guess. It's how how much like in the world of rock, what can you do really to make something new that hasn't already been done? It's really difficult. So often I think simplicity is the key because I remember donkeys years ago. I when I'm trying to write songs myself, I think I can't write the song. I can't write the song. I can't write the song because everything's been done. Mm. I can't think of anything original until my brain went. Everything's been done. Nothing's original. Just just. Turn something inside out. Take something apart. Just play something simple. So then, I've written quite a few songs now. I'm, I'm a lazy songwriter. I've got to be honest, right? I mean, I like our guitarists because they pick guitar all the time. And you know, I got loads of guitars around the place. And I've even got one of Bucky's guitars over there. And he, he brought down and um, one nice. of his And um, I just think, oh, I'll go pick it up. So I I go and pick the guitar up. Yeah, I got there's a couple hanging behind me with it. But I go and pick the guitar up and I can just like start messing. I think, oh, that's cool. And I got to record it on my phone. So I record the riffs on my phone. So I've got probably about 20 odd riffs or chord patterns or melodies on my phone. And they've been there for years. Because mm. I'm lazy. I need You've never done anything with them. Well, some I have. And they oh. were on the first Son of Man album. Some, some of my finished songs, you know. Um, uh, but, but it's like, having the inclination to sit down, go through all that and start working out again. I think, well, now I've got Logic Pro and my kit. Um, the other day, I actually put a riff down, drum pattern, a, a bass, and a couple of licks over the top, and it actually built the section. Brilliant. And I thought, wow, i done that. And I was like, yeah, we'll just do more of it. Yeah, you know? you've just got to make the time, haven't you? You've got to put the time aside to do it, yeah. Um... Yeah, all the inclination, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah it, it, it's all there. Um, and again, sometimes you think, oh, how can I write a melody? How can I write words? Well, 
how I used to do it, especially for the songs on the first Son of Man album, I did, I had to play the, the demo in the car, and I'd be driving, and I would hum a, a melody over the top of the music that's coming in. And I keep humming it, think, oh, that melody's good, and the syncopation's good, okay, so I'll find words then that'll fit that melody. Nice. And then if one line would come out, oh, I like that, that's good. Then that would kind of dictate the next one, and the next one, and you'd see a pattern, and think, oh, wow. And you can see where it's going. And that's how I do my songs. What's you know? Um Again, it might be different to some guitar players or whatnot, but, you know, like I said, I'm a lazy songwriter, like a lot of stuff there. Or if a line or two comes into my head, I'll write it down or stick it on my phone, but it stays there forever. I'm going to just like... You know, mm -hmm. I'll be bothered, but I but I got a few brew in at the moment. But uh, who knows when they'll see the light of day? No, oh, hopefully they will. Well, <laughs> you've got you you've got the gear now. You can you can lay them down yourself and like you said. Yeah, but it's it's frustrating when you think, how do I? What does that? What's that button do? And then you hit the wrong button and you raised it. Or uh, I I it's been like that for me doing these podcasts. I I don't have logic, but um. I kind of had to teach myself. I use Audacity as like a free program, but yeah, I had to kind of teach myself how to use that from scratch just to put, I guess it's a little bit more simple with um, the podcast stuff and I have to import audio files and stuff like that. But half, I don't know what 70% of the buttons do or half the effect. I don't know half of them do, but I've learned enough to make these podcasts now. But I might have to go back to GarageBand because it might be easier. Garage band was quite easy. I used to use it on my iPad, but it was limited. Obviously, you can't really, you can plug things into your iPad because I had a, I, it was called an iRig for plugging a guitar into it. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but my but my iPad now is it's like one of the, I think it was an iPad 2, so it's a bit ancient. It's so slow, I just, it's completely useless now. But, um, but what, yeah, I'm looking, in, I'm going to get myself a little audio interface, I think, because I, you know, I've got it's a guitar. That's what we want. And I got an, well, I've got an electric kit. Yeah, you've got yeah, you've got the um, focus right. Yeah, um, I've got a different electric kit than you. I've got a two box Drumit Five. I don't know if you've heard of them, but um, I'm sure it is a way of connecting that up if I wanted to, so I could actually make my if own little jack demos. Out if there's a jack output on it, right? Yeah. Is it a, is it a stereo out or a two monos? I think it's got. I think it's got two monos. I think yeah. If you get a focus right two input, you can put those two leads into the front. Yeah, and then you can actually record the sounds that's coming out of the brain of the kit. Yeah, rather than MIDI and all that. Yeah, yeah. or you can do it by MIDI, and then you'll have the sounds of the, the program on your Mac. Yeah, and that's what I never really got around to understanding is how MIDI works, especially with drums. Like I remember doing it. In, like I went to uni, and there was this. You had a little MIDI keyboard, but it was all hooked up for you. Like I never had to really understand what's connected to what, what's connected to what on the programs. Cause it was just like, you open up Cubase and then I could put any sound I wanted onto this keyboard, but no one really showed me how to set that up if I wanted to do it. And I remember finishing uni and I was like, oh, I really want to get into composing. I was really into it at the time. And I bought, I bought a laptop, like a Dell laptop. I bought myself an M audio little interface and I had a little mini key, uh, MIDI keyboard that my friend Gareth gave me. So I was like, yes, I'm all here. I've got guitars, I've got whatever I want. And I just couldn't get anything to work. I couldn't get things to talk to each I other. Different like, oh, God. Drive, drivers and things like that. Yeah. I had to download this. And I was just like, 
And I just gave up. I spent a few months on it, couldn't get it to work. And I was just like, I was gutted because I'm like, I was at the time, I was like, I want to get this to work. This is what I enjoy doing. I really enjoyed doing it. Yeah. And uh, and then I've never gone back. I've just played drums in bands. I get a little bit involved in the songwriting. But um, in terms of composing my own stuff, apart from dabbling on garage band with the touchscreen, and mm-hmm. I've never really. Uh... This is what I use. Oh, right. It's an app that looks like an old vintage tape recorder. Nice. And I, I call that up and um, I just hit record and record the, the riff that comes into my head or something, and, and I just save it on the phone. That's easy. Yeah, well, that's, well, that's, there, that's good for little, like, just simple ideas. With Like, I've done that on, yeah. like, the sound recorder yeah. on my phone or whatever. With a, with a, I, I think I found stuff on there the other day, like some bass line I'd probably written six years ago that I've never shown anyone. <laughs> like, what's the point? But, um, yeah, I'm going to try and... Yeah, but then, then, then find something else and it'll go with that bass yeah. line and then you start to go, oh, yeah. Yeah, hopefully. Oh, hopefully, yeah, yeah. I, I guess that's the idea. Or, or you get, or you get the thing where, where it's like, oh, you're the drummer, you don't write songs, shut up. Yeah, well, that's you that's them, you know? a lot of people think but that. Drummer, you... I know true. what you mean. Nah, exactly. Not look at look at Dave Grohl. That's all. That's the argument there. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Roger Taylor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, you'd be good to get on. Imagine that. Imagine that. Nice shirt. Nice shirt, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, I'd wear, I thought I'd wear it. Eh? Proper symbols. My Pasty yeah. 2000. I got my Harley Davidson one again. Nice. Yeah. Did, you, did you go out on your Harley yesterday? In the end? I did. Oh, good. Most of the day. Good. Oh, that's good. Ended up buying another t shirt. Terrible. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> yeah, best symbols in the world. Let's, let's talk about your, your symbols then. Which, what, what do you use then? Let's talk about oh. them. Right. Um, I was using just bits and pieces, hodgepodge and what have you. And, and I've always loved the pasty stuff, obviously, because Powell and Pacey. Yeah. Um, and, and Powell and Coach Powell and Pacey are my biggest influences, really. Um, you know, awesome. from the White Snake and the Rainbow Days and stuff like that. Um, I love I love Cozy's. Um, attack and style and i love pacey's finesse yeah so that's more... where that's where i come from yeah you're yeah. like a mix of them both well it would be nice hopefully yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i mean if if you know if it was good enough for them and bonham and people like that and they just sounded amazing and just looked like a million bucks on stage you know yeah and when well, he said to me um Obviously, because Nico was a, a pasty in, in Dorsey, Adrian said, um, well, do, do you want to see if I can get you some pasty symbols? Uh, yeah. yeah. So I got the phone number of Mike Brooks, who used to be the, the paste guy back in the day. And I rang that and he was wonderful. Yeah, whatever you want, whatever you want, you know, just pay a, a, a little percentage. Yeah. Something like 22% or something, I don't know. But, uh, nice. Back in the day, you know. Um, and I had these, like, Boxes full of brand new pasty three thousands. It was at the time. Right. right. Yeah, I never used those. Turn up at the rehearsal room in in Slough when I was rehearsing with Aid. Like, <laughs> can you imagine? Can you Amazing. imagine? It's like, oh my god, oh my god. And I I had because I was using my double 
double pull export kit at the time in Chrome. Right. right. So I'd have um, 14 inch heavy IATs, 20 inch crashes, 18 inch crashes, two Chinas. I just had I just had loads of stuff. I think three crashes there, two crashes in the middle, two crashes there, two Chinas up there. I just wow. It's a bit Mickey D-ish, kind of like. Yes, yeah, before, before I before I knew Mickey was then. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that was the kind of uh, the Tommy Aldridge setup, the Bob Rondinelli and all of that. Just wherever you shut your eyes, wherever you go, you can hit something. Yeah. I've never, I've never tried like making a setup like that myself. I've always been quite minimal, but uh, I imagine it's really fun. It is because you close your eyes, wherever you go, there's something there. And another thing about um, if you've got your symbols on, um, I don't use the old uh, wing nets anymore. Right. I've got these symbol sleeves. You just drop the symbol over, and it's straight on. Oh, nice. Straight off, right? Cool. But they they flap a lot. So you get a good whack, give a 20 inch crash a whack, and it'll just go boom like this. So if you come back for a second whack, it could be on a downstroke. Yeah. So then bang, bang, and that's when the other one is handy right next to it or above it or something, you know? Yeah. So, um, but, uh, but again, other gigs I've done where I've had to take, a, you know, take my symbols up, but there's a rental kit and I had to screw them down. I'm thinking, oh, do you know, I need to go back to this because that controls the wash of the symbols. That's, cr that's correct, yeah. Just just a little bit. So I'm going back to what it was back in the day. And I thought, well, do you know, I like that because they're not washing too much now because that big wash affects how you strike them because you think it's not going to come back in time or whatever. But I might go back to those. But for ease of use, I use these symbol sleeves. You just drop it on. And it's just, quicker. Yeah, it's oh, much quicker. Mega quick. Um, and I also use these sim skins, which is like a protector, right? Like a black, like a black sock. Nice. Symbols. So I could take them out of my case with the sleeve on, drop it straight on the stand, and it's ready. And awesome. when the engineers mic'ing up, they're not touching my symbols because that does my box in. I know what you mean. I touching my symbols again. Um, George, I know you're you're a bit fussy with. I remember you're a bit fussy with fingerprints, aren't you? Oh man. <laughs> oh man, engineers, they mic it up and they bang the symbol. They go, oh, sorry. And I, go, I know. I know. I, I know when they, they twat it with a bloody mic, mic stand or mic lead or something. Because I've had my symbols a while, right? And they look mint. And people say, God, they nice symbols. I've had them eight years. They say, but I just don't touch them. Yeah, that's amazing. That I is cool. I don't touch them. Do you ever choke them during the set? Or do you not do that kind of stuff? Um, I do, but I, I don't do that. Right. I just either palm it like that. Yeah, or, yeah. Or arm over the top or just, I, I, I don't kind of do and, all that. Because that's when you end up with a big ring of finger marks all the way around the symbols. Like mine, probably. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. If I, if I saw you, I'd go, no, get your, get your, clean it out, you know. I know, that, that's the thing when, it, it all depends on the situation. I, you know, I, I try not to, like I'll try and hold them on the edges and while I'm placing them on, but that's then exactly what I do, edge like hold them like a vinyl. Probably. Yeah, yeah. That's why I got the symbol sleeves. Yeah, that, I might look into them, but um. Are they brilliant? Yeah. When you're packing, packing down, they, the sim skin goes straight on the symbol, yeah. right? And then you take the symbol off the thing straight into the case, so you can pick them up normally. Yeah, that does yeah. look good. Yeah. Well, I keep them in the in the bags they come in. 
That's what I, I try to, and then they just get they get they get ruined. They do on, on and the problem is cause I've got because like I said, I when we do headline shows, I tend to have that guy setting them up for me. My my friend died, and it's just like making his job harder by telling him, "Oh, I'm gonna." I don't want you to touch my symbols with your fingers, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, do I just feel like a bit of a prick? No, because they're your symbols and they're going to look tight. They're going to sound good, look good, you know? He sometimes gives them a little wipe, you know, he gives them a rub for me and all that. But um, I I always go around it all and and give them a a polish and check all the angles and the heights. I'm even so bad as to look at my bass drum and see the actual lug screws on the bass drum, right? Oh, really? Yeah. My vintage premiers, they're offset lugs. Right. Or the, the screws are offset, just one size, like a, like an L rod. I know, yeah. Right? I can't have an L rod pointing out or in or whatever. They've all got to be flush with the shell shape. Uh, Honestly, God. Enough. And I can't have any leads hanging over my bass drums. Some engineers, they might get my kit right? I've had the, I had the black kit, and they put red leads over the bass drum. And I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. This is a work of art. This is a, a beautiful vintage work of art. And you're covering it in bloody different coloured leads over the bass drum instead of running it across the floor. Yeah, like, that is, I've seen oh, that. Isn't it? It's annoyed me. You, you can't see. And another, another bugbear, right? <laughs> Sometimes I don't use a port hole, right? Right, right. Now that is because I like the old style boom of the of the bass drum so i've got a ps3 on the back right, right. which is a single ply with a damper lick right and a ps3 on the, on the front or i would put a single ply with a felt strip oh yeah okay yeah old style old school so yeah get the damp on the front head so you get the impact with the back it would fire the air forward it would shift the front head out away from the felt strip create the boom then it would come back and it would take the top end off yeah if you tune them right the sound is just unreal. It's got a huge bottom end, big thump on it. And other times I've got I've got ports, right? The head with ports in. It's for ease of use because some engineers just can't be bothered yeah. to get the sound out of the bass drum with with uh, without the hole. We we played Chepstow Castle twelve years ago with Man. Nice. I took my silver spark off. 26, 14, 16, 18. Premier Vintage, right? No all in the bass drum, right? And of course, it's all, it's all tuned. I take my time. I love my drums, right? So yeah. this engineer, he came up on stage, and he was younger than me, right? And he went, got no all in your bass drum. I said, that, yeah, I know. I said, yeah, sounds great, though. I'll be the judge of that. He said I play drums as well. <laughs> of course, I started going. I started trying to set my drums up. And he was then putting mic stands in before I put my cymbal stands in. Yeah. Another bug there. That, that's annoying, yeah. Let me set it up, then you can come in. All right. And then he was going, anybody got a, um, a space CD and a razor blade? Seriously? Not what? Happening. Not happening, right, not happening. So he, he, that really got me back up. I was quite, quite annoyed then, right? So anyway, we did the sound check, we did the gig, and coming down the ramp afterwards, he said, sorry, mate. He said, they sounded incredible. I said, yeah, I know. I, I said, because I took my time to tune them and put the right heads on them. Yeah. So he learned a lesson then. Good. 
a young engineer who went to college probably was and, and, and said, this is how you do a bass drum. Cut a hole in it, fill it full to the brim of blankets. So it goes, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then put all the stuff on it on the desk. Make it sound like John Barnum's bass drum on the desk. Well, hang on. How about making it sound like a bass drum before you even put a mic on it? So it goes, yeah. And that's what they, they, they don't deal with that. Can't deal with it. Like. Nah. Some I, of the older guys, some of the older guys, and I say to them, I haven't got all of my bass drum. And they go, uh, yeah, fine, great, no worries. Cool. They, they, they used say, to oh, doing it, yeah. Sounds great. Sounds great. Yeah. You know? I remember we played we played with Hawkwind once. And I had the oh. black black premiere. And the black premiere is the one I only use on the A C D C videos, like that one, right? 26, yeah. 14, 16, 18. Nice. And he was going, Oh man, the engineer, what a sound. And I hit my eighteen inch floor tom and he said, That floor tom sounds better than any bass drum I've had over the weekend. <laughs> I was like, Wow. Do you know what I mean? And these old vintage Premier drums, man, it's just, that's how what, I love them. What it's kind of... I got into that, right? Yeah, go on, yeah, yeah. Obviously, my grandchild had the Premier drums when I was a kid, right? But then, then I went to Pearl, because I wanted the big double chrome Pearl Expo. Then I decided in probably 99 or something, I said, I, I want to get an old Premier, a vintage Prem. So I got the shells off eBay, 24, 14, and two 16s. So I couldn't pick up an 18, they just weren't available. Right. And I thought, I'm going to wrap them myself. So I stripped them all down and I ordered red um, glass glitter from America. And it came all pre cut on a roll. It weighed a ton. It was crushed glass. It just looked stunning. I don't know if you've seen the pictures of the red one. I think I have, yeah. So I remember I was sat in here and Mrs. and kids were in bed. And I thought, I'm going to do that now. So I was up till four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I was on the floor over there with clamps and tape and stuff. And then, then I drilled all from inside, put all the metalwork back on, I put the floor toms together, put the heads on, and they got cast hoops, beautiful cast hoops. And I remember hitting that floor tom. And I went, what sound? And I put this kit together, and I took it out on the road with man, and they all loved it. All the band went, wow. It just looked beautiful and sounded just immense. And that was it. Then... I was on eBay all the time. Oh, black Premier kick. Have that. Um, 26 inch bass drum, get that. I rewrap that. So I'd wrap kits, split them, and, right. and that's all my kits. So, they, they're all, all, so they've all come from different kits, technically, and you've made them. Pretty much. Right. Pretty much. Ah, right. Didn't know that. They look amazing, yeah. though. Yeah, I mean, pr pretty much they were um, all bits and pieces that I'd have either wrap them myself or I get uh, my mate Dave Paulie to wrap them for me because um, he's. He's an ex-pro and retired. He loves partnering about, you know. Yeah. Um, but the Silver Sparkle, my mate rang me up. He said, there's a Silver Sparkle on eBay, 26, 10, 12, 13, 14, 16, 275 quid. What? What, 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 what? Straight on there. Speed reading it twice to make sure. Bang, buy it now. Yeah. I picked up an 18 for that then, so I'll wrap that. That's incredible. You know, I, never, I never see bargains like that whenever I look on eBay. Because I know they're going to sound immense. Yeah. Because they've got three-ply shells, nice fat reinforcing rings in there. Um, they, the bearing edges are not that sharp. Right. They've got, a, they've got more of a contact with the head. So they're they more rounded or? Yeah, slightly more rounded. They're, they're not sharp like a, a 9,000 or anything like that. Right. Um, because I think with the drumming industry, it's all 
cycles back yeah. in the day, shallow 14 inch bass drums. Yeah. And then 16, 18, 20, you know, and go back again. So, mm. you know, just doing this, the Toms were doing this. Yeah. You know, uh, my prems were all made in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s, and they were all of the shallow depth. Right. You know, um, you don't you don't need it. I know it's all, they got to sell product, you know, and you can't knock them for that, otherwise it wouldn't be there. But, you know, you don't need to be spending five grand on the top of the range drum kit. Right, I've done fly out gigs, right? And you, you've probably done this. You do fly out gigs and they say, oh, you've got a, a so-and-so drum kit. I won't name them. But a so-and-so drum kit today. They go, all right, okay. Worth thousands. They get you play it. It's like the next day you've got a different kit, a different make. Wow, yeah, that's better. Or what have you. You know what I mean? Yeah. It might it cost me a few hundred quid and I just rewrapped it, put good edits, tuned up, and it's just, it just blows them away. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I don't, I don't tour with an expensive kit because I've owned the expensive ones, mm-hmm. and I, they are they are, you know, potentially great. And a lot of it's to do with the the look and the finish and and the fact of depending on where they're made and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I I did sell a lot of my expensive kits. Number one was I was too afraid to tour with them because I didn't want to get them ruined, which I know sounds silly, but they get a bit scratched and battered and rusted you can't help it this condensation the oh, backs little, of little, little tip with that yeah. condensation get the silica gel bags yeah yeah i, bits, I right? do that get them off ebay and chuck a few of them in each case of the drums i have done that I tr- but that does help yeah that does help definitely but um yeah it got i had i had this i play sona you probably know and um, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. and um and i remember when i was they announced the Beach Infinity kit a few years. Well, it's probably maybe ten years ago, showing how old I am. But um, and they did. I like go. It was a white or a cream white finish, matte finish. And I thought oh, that looks amazing. And there was a video of a guy on YouTube. Sounded great. Beach shell, medium beach shell. I sounded amazing. I I, I, th- I had a contact with them at the time, so I'm like, oh, I can get it slightly cheaper than retail. Still a lot of money. Yeah. But I, I was working, you know, I was like, I'm, I didn't have a house. Like, you know, that's when you're going to afford to buy gear because you don't have bloody mortgages and stuff. But um, I got it, recorded an album with it on the first day because it arrived just in time. We were about to start recording an album with my old band, Straight Lines. They did, you know, we got it sounding pretty good considering it was a bit of a rush and I didn't really get to experiment with heads. But as soon as you start touching it, because it was white, cream white, matte oh, finish, oh. Fing- fingerprints. In- like, even though I didn't even know how these fingerprints came on, because I was trying to be careful with it. Other people mm. touching them, and, and I can't, I can't tour this. And at the time, I was in a band. You'd expect it to share your kit with the, oh, with the support sorry. band. You know, definitely, that's the level I was at. I was, you know, it, we'd like maybe do a little headline tours in little clubs, but you've got to share the kit, because that's just how mm. it works. There was no room mm. for, like, two kits or... I'm like, I can't tour this. So I, I kept it as my rehearsal kit and I used, did it, I used it for a music video. So that was nice. I never toured with it. And I just felt like, why do I... It got to a point, I was like, maybe I should think about getting rid of it because it's not practical for me to own this. It's worth a couple of grand. Mm. I'm not taking it on the road. So I, I don't own it anymore. I got rid of it. Um, 
and the kit I use on tour and I have been touring with for a few years is just um, one of those Asian made force kits because they, they sound great for what they are yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. spend a hell of a lot of money on it if it gets a bit if it gets a ding or a scratch I'm not obviously I'd rather it not get scratched but mm. if it happens I'm not going to be like oh I spent two grand on that or whatever mm. do you know what I mean mm. and it, it sounds great and that sound engineers tell me like, oh, this is one of the better kits I've, I've had recently, or or they just assume it's an expensive one. I'm like, no, it's not an expensive one. Yeah, but at the end of the day, a drum is a yeah. tube. Yeah. Plastic edge on top and bottom. Yeah. That's all it is. And yeah, it's how you hit them as well, I guess, is yeah, part of it. Yeah, how you hit them, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, yeah. Drum companies say, oh, we've dug this piece of wood up from the bottom of a bog that's been here for 500 years, and we carved a drum out of it. And well, all right, then how do you explain perspex shells? Yeah. Plastic. Yeah. John Bottom. Sounds yeah. amazing. So a plastic shell, a 500-year-old piece of wood that charged, you know, a million quid for, for instance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can make it, if, as long as it's a tube, it's got a bare an edge. Yeah. It's round. And it's actually round, yeah. You're going to get a sound out of it. Hmm. So, he, yeah. So they've got to make money. They got Otherwise, they, you know. But they've got to keep bringing product out. And, you know, if if... Like now, like now, I'm at this stage where I'm not sharing my drum kit with other bands. I have, I have been li- li- looking at maybe, especially for this new album cycle. I'm like, oh, should I treat myself to like a slightly nicer kit? I might get a black one. It might look cool. Nice black kit. And I have been thinking about it. And um, this, so I just don't know if it's going to be worth worth it. Flog, you know, spend spending all that money. Is it going to sound better than the kit I currently use? And if it doesn't, I'm going to look like a bit of a dickhead. Not but, really. No, but you won't. But you won't, will you? Because it's, nah. it, you, you change a kit. I've got bloody, I don't know, 12, 13 kits. Yeah. But they're all different colours. Different. different. Specs, yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, what am I going to use? Oh, I'll take the red sparkle tonight. Oh, it's good to have the choice. Yeah, it's good to have the choice. I'll take my white one tonight. Or I'll take my oyster blue. Or I'll, I'll take the... Grey shimmer, take my whatever silver yeah. star, you know. It is nice if you if you know you can you've got them stored somewhere and they're safe and you've got the space for it. I think that's that was part of it as well. Of like at the one point I had, I owned like three German sonar kits, and I'm like, one of them stored in my mate's house where we practice. The other one's in my brother's studio, and I had one in my garage at the time. So it depended on what kind of gig was happening logistically, what I could use, or one of them was just set up in his in my mate's house constantly. So it's not as if I could. It was more effort to go and get that, pack it away, to take it to a gig, than it was to leave it there. So I just left it there. And like I don't, I don't, I don't really need to own them. They they were all really good in their own way, and and I think I just had to use my head for a little bit. And I've still got a few of my garage, like small life, but one with a fourteen-inch bass drum, six. Uh, I've got a 16-inch bass drum, 18-inch bass drum, and I've got like a vintage 70s one with a 20-inch bass drum. Oh, nice. For, yeah, it's a, it's a swinger kit, Sona swinger kit. Um, I used that recently on a recording, so it was nice to actually use it because it's just been in my garage for a couple of years doing nothing in cases. So it was nice to actually use that. But... I'm not doing many. It was I bought all those kits thinking when I was doing lots of little pub shows with a few guys I used to work with, and it was nice to take a different one every time, like you said. Well, I'll take this one tonight, or this one's an acoustic gig. I'll take a smaller bass drum, mm. or or I know the venue's really small. You know, 
So I, but I, I didn't spend a lot of money on them because they're quite low-end kits, so I don't mind keeping hold of them because I don't have a lot of money invested in them. I played some old, well, I, I played some really cheap, low-budget kits that are 250 quid, right? Yeah. But I put Remo heads on them and tuned them up, and they've gone. Yeah. It's amazing what you can do, isn't it? It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So it's for yeah, any drummers out there, like, yes, it's fine to, it's fine to lust after these really expensive kits, but you don't need them. No, as long as you so, tune them right. Yeah. You can yeah. still record, you can still tour and play gigs without I did, expensive kits. I did kit. a festival once, just remind me, I did a festival once where I had to use his kit. And the guy who owned the drum kit, I, I looked at that, he would clear heads, he put sponge underneath each drum head. Oh my God. And the heads were slack. So I'm looking, it was good, it, you'd hit it, you go. But, it'd just be, yeah, it wouldn't actually be I a drum. Like, what, what am I gonna do with this? How can I do any of my subtle double stroke things and, and I just, impossible. So I, I said to him, with, you know, I said, oh, dude, I said, um, you know, if you took that sponge out, and he did a little bit of tuning and da da da. They would sing. Oh, well, I don't want them to sing. I said, but it's really hard to play for you like that, mate. You know. Oh, well, I like it like that. Hmm. Okay. And walk away. You know, but just, yeah. it was just insane. It was like hitting a wet pillow. Yeah, it's just he wants, he just wants a box. He just wants an attack of some form, I guess. Yeah, but then you've got, you got no rebound. No, nothing. You've got no feedback. No. But no sustain of of any form, or no no notes or anything. Nothing. Yeah, yeah that sounds terrible, to be honest. Yeah, terrible. Like I I do dampen my toms, but I still allow them to project a note and yeah. have a tone. I, yeah, I, I I tend not to dampen any of my stuff. Right? That's cool. I just want to go dum 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 dum. You like you like the long sustain. Absolutely love it. Cool. Yeah. Um, the, the Cozy's Yamaha, I remember when I was first tuning that, 20 years, I've had it for 20 years now, I, I, the, it's a 9,000 recording custom, right? Right. So I, what I did with them, I actually found a cassette of Cozy playing in Hammersmith, and I heard him go, doo, 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 doo. and I, I pitched the notes on my piano. Ding, dang, dang, dang. All right. Right, that's it. So I... I stripped each drum. I started with the first rack, 15 by 12. Uh, turn it upside down, put the 15, bottom on. Sorry, 15 by 12 is the rack. first rack. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 15 by 12. So I've got a, I've got a candle. This is a good tip. Get a, get a candle, like a tea light or something, and just rub it around the bearing edge. Right. Okay. Get your finger then, and rub that candle wax into the bearing edge. It smooths it out. And it helps to seat the head. Right. Okay. Tightly, you know, to get contact. So I did that, put the rim on, and the rims are solid steel. Right? They're not cast or whatever you pressed. So put the, the, the lugs in. And I, I pitched it up, all equal, until that bottom head played a B-flat note. Dun, or whatever it is. I can't right remember. Pitch perfect, but yeah. played B-flat. Then I turned the drum over. I did exactly the same with the top head. B flat, and I'm not kidding you. Right, it, it took it took me a while to do the whole kit, but my God, the difference was staggering. 
that's how that's that's how you get the longest sustain, isn't it? By tuning them the same pitch, generally. But nice and clear and without oh. the dissonance. Yeah, I know what you mean. Without all those overtones going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Second one, uh, A flat. And the second one, rack. Second rack was 15 by 12, both the same. Oh, the okay. same. First floor, Tom, 18 by 16, right? <laughs> same thing, same thing. Uh, so it was B flat, A flat, D flat, B flat. Right, so what, what dimensions was the second floor, Tom? The same again? Or? 18 by oh, 16. That's interesting. And they were the, the heads were Remo CS, black dot on a smooth white. I know the one, yeah, yeah. And I remember hitting the floor, Toms, and they rang for a fortnight. <laughs> it was like... Fucking me, that's just phenomenal. And the, just the difference... Dong, 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 dong. Just incredible. The bass drum is a different matter, right? Yeah, it is a bit different. Because he did have damping in there. He had a big hole in the front and he had damping in the back. So it was just a thud, basically. Yeah. Let's not forget, that kit was always going through probably a 40k rig every night. So the bass drums are like 50 cannons going off. Exactly. You know what I mean? So... But what a difference. So I, I recorded, um, I know we digress again, but I recorded uh, my first album with the band Shy from Birmingham on that drum kit. Nice. So it's Cozy's drums on there. It's, it's phenomenal to listen to it. You know what I mean? I did the second Shy album with Cozy's kit. How, how did you, sorry, how did you, did you, how did you get hold of Cozy's kit? This is another story. Did you, like, how did you know it was available? Or? Well, um, a friend of mine um, rang me up and he said, oh, I've just had a, a newsletter from Drumright Drum Shop Shop in Reading. He said, and they got uh, they selling Cozy Powell's Chrome Yamaha. And I was just going oh, <laughs> on the phone in the kitchen. No, I just bought a new car. You have to buy it. You have to buy it. Oh, yeah, I was like, Shit. The, the flyer. You see a picture of it. I was like, and he, he described it on the phone. He said, ah, oh, two twenty six by fourteens, two fifteen by twelves, two eighteen by. And I was going. In Chrome, I was going, oh! <laughs> so I ran, I rang the shop the next day. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, we've still got it. Um, we're selling it on behalf of a customer. I said, oh, all oh, right. How did he get it? Oh, we think that he picked it up from a rehearsal room because he left it or gave it to a rehearsal room and this guy bought it from the rehearsal room and stuff like that. So I was planning to go and see Iron Maiden, right? It was June... 2000. Right. And uh, I, I made phone calls to this shop. Oh, no, we've still got it. We've still got it. Still got it. I said, well, I'll, can I call in Sunday morning? Because I was, I was stopping over So um, after the maiden show. And uh, I called in at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I went upstairs, all these drums stacked up. And there he was, just stacked up on top of the basement. I was like, I had it. For, for the extremely insane stupid price and i was driving on the m on the m4 with this in the back of the car and so it was like, a good oh, so it was actually inexpensive oh. so was it advertised yeah. as was it advertised as cozy's kit or was it just all oh, right see well, that's strange oh it was you would have thought they would have jacked the but, price this is 20 years ago ah uh, right? i suppose it, it, 
he died three years previous to that, but there wasn't the build-up of you know and, and and stuff. And and because back then the trend was small drums, small right? Bass, small, this was a fucking monster. Yeah, I guess Nobody back then it was like little fusion kits, and yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Nobody wanted it, you know, and um. And I remember they they always saying to me, "Oh, we wait for verification from Japan," but we never had the verification from Japan, right? But being the bloody orchai that I am with drums, you just knew, yeah. Especially Posey's drums, you know. I remember watching the, all his videos and, and looking at pictures and, and looking at the badges, the nuts on the symbol, everything. I was looking at everything in his kit. Yeah. And um, I watched um slow and easy video from the slide it in video with john sykes and neil murray cozy and cover that one with his flames are coming up at the end yeah yeah when that first came out in 84 85 i was looking at that video i was thinking has he taken his stickers off the drums or was that a new kit that's a new kit that's another kit that is <laughs> that's a double badge on that because they didn't double badge it looks a double badge here and the the nuts are different on the tom mount dodos that's that's different yeah that's different spurs on the bass drum i was clocking all this in 84 right and of course that's the one i got right amazing chrome kit because then peter williams who was uh man's roadie and driver now peter used to be tour at the tour manager for motorhead oh right yeah he did i remember let me let me love peter and um peter said to me he said uh cozy's old drum tech ashley williams lives in pontadawi he used his phone number and Ashley was lovely. I said, I got this chrome Yamaha drum kit. Yes, he said. I said, it's got dark shells inside. It's black. Oh, well, I don't remember any dark shells inside. No, no, here you go. Here you go. Yeah. Um, anyway, he said, come down the house. Bring it down, he said, and we'll have a look at it. Yeah, right on. So I chucked the Tom in the car, drove to, drove to uh, Pontadawi, went in and met him, and he was lovely. Sue was his wife. Ashley's gone now, sadly. He died in oh, no. But he was a lovely man. And he went, Looks a bit new and clean, that does, he said. And I said, look at this badge here, Ash. I said, it's got number one written on it in red pen or red sharpie. And to me, as a drum tech as well, I used to do tech. And that would mark out number one, Tom. They they're both in, the same, they're both the same size, yeah, yeah. So you know which one's which, yeah. And then he went, Sue, I used to have red markers in my case, didn't I? <laughs> yes, yes, lad. Hang on, he said, he went upstairs, got photographs. That he took a cozy playing from the side, private photos. And we scanned it in, looked, zoomed in. There was the number one in red on the badge. That's the one then. You know who it was. Oh yeah, sorry, I forgot. I said, <sighs> think, and I, I got to know Ash really well. But I, I ended up knowing more about cozy's drums than he did. Sounds he like was, he was just a tech. You know? Yeah. And when when I played um, the CIA with Man, right, in 2001 or whatever it was, I used Cozy's kit. I thought, I'm going to use that beast in there. Yeah, oh, it's going to be done. Ashley came down, right, and I remember coming out to the dressing room now to come up and pack the kit down. He'd already started. All right. Bless him, he'd had a few beers, and he was strewn all over the riser on the stage. And I said to him, jokingly, what are you doing? I said, you don't know anything about that drum kit. What are you all doing? What are you doing? Like winding him up, you know, because he was Cozy's tech from like 83 to 85. Rock in Rio, they did, you know, 100,000 people in Rock in Rio. That kit was all over the place, you know. 
And I just winded him up saying, put it down, you don't know what you're doing. <sighs> Bless him. But he gave me loads of stuff, private photographs, of, you know, that he took the cosy playing, um, gloves, stickers, bloody bag, everything. Just give me tons of stuff. Posters from Japan. Wow. Special. Yeah, wonderful. Wonderful. So, um, this, go on, let's tell me about the ACDC thing then. Go on. Right. How did, how did that happen? Right. I was actually sat right at this very spot. Don't know what I was doing. Wife was over there. I don't know, whatever. And the, my phone phone goes. And I didn't recognise the number on my phone, so I'm not answering that. And then another number came up, but it was Ray, the bass player in Southern Man at the time. Ray Jones. Right. Oh, Ray. Hiya, Ray. All right. I was sat here. He said, um, um, my brother just called me. Now, Ray's brother is Dick Jones, who's Phil's tech. Right. He's been working with ACT since back in black days, 1980. Wow. So it's that long he's, Dick's been there, you know. He said, my brother just called me, and um, ACDC are in London doing a video shoot over the weekend. Um, but Phil, Phil hasn't turned up. And I'm like going, in my head, what's that going to do with me? What are you at? He said, are you uh, available tomorrow? What? What, you, for me to do it? Yeah, are you available tomorrow? Would you, would you go? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, my missus looking around. Because I thought somebody died, you know, and she's like, what, what's that, what's happening? And he said, um, my brother will call you in, in five minutes. Okay. So, he rang me. And I, I met Dickie before, you know, so um, I kind of knew him, you know. And uh, he said, uh, "I Bobby said um, Ray gave you the lowdown." I said, "Yeah, yeah." I said, "Is this is this true now, Dick or what?" "Oh yeah, oh yeah." He said, um, "It's tomorrow. They're shooting two videos over the weekend, and um, Phil's not Phil's not there. Uh, you know, can can you do it? Do you want to do it? Are you interested? Can you, you know? Yeah, of course, you know." Um, so then we talked about, um, I said, well, do they know I'm coming up? Do they? Oh, yes. And it's been known to me, Dick and Ray had been talking in the daytime, and Ray had sent him pictures up of me and clips of what I do, and showed Angus. And I said, said to Dick, I said, do they know I'm coming? Yeah, yeah, we've, you know, we've showed, showed Angus. And he said, yeah, yeah, you'll do kind of thing, send him up. So um, I said, well, what kit do you want me to bring, you know? What have we got? I said, well, I got red sparkle, you know, blue, whatever. I said, I'll tell you what, my black one will, will do. The black yeah. one is better, more suited for the... Yeah. Know. So um, that was in, in a van in Merthyr, because at the time I was playing with Celtic Pride, you know, doing um, doing stuff for them. And I had to ring, ring Don and I had to tell him, I need the kit now. This was like half past eight in the night. <laughs> I think it was a Thursday evening um, in October. Actually, yeah, next month is coming up like six six years. Yeah, so um, I had to tell him. He was like, "What? What? You are?" I said, "No, I'm not. I'm a laugh. I need to come up and get the drums now." So I got the drums. I told him about it. He's oh, awesome, awesome. So I, I I couldn't sleep that night very well. I was up at uh, I left at seven o'clock in the morning, and um, I arrived at the studios about ten, and Dickie was there. We unloaded the kit and. Uh, I remember the um, director, David Mallet. Now, David Mallet directed 
tons of tons of music videos, Queen, all ACDC, you know, films and stuff. Was really funny. He looked at me and said, I know you, I've worked with you before. I said, No, you haven't but no, not yes, it'll come to me, you know. He was great, he was. So um there was two rooms, right? One had a green screen, green walls, and the other one was a like a, a built in the round with seats going all the way up, like a circus ring. So the first day we had to do the green screen. So me and Dickie went and set my kit up. And it was the Black Prem 26, 14, 16, 18. Um, now on my bass drums, you see I got the BR thing. Yeah. I've had that on there for over 20 years and all my kits. And uh, I said to Dick, he said, uh, I think that's a problem. You know, no, you'd be all right. He said, as long as nobody's going to say anything, don't worry about it. Don't say anything about it. You know, so like, wow. You know, so that, that was all, all set up. And he said, right, take up the dressing room. And he says, I'm, Telling you all of it now, it's all the long thing. It's so, fine, yeah. Yeah. I said, um, are you sure you want me to sit in the band's dressing room? Yeah, be fine. Okay. Yeah. So I went in the dressing room, like all food and drinks and coffee machines and nice chairs and just, just sat there like, and, and then in comes Dickie, in comes the band, the wives, girlfriends, what have you. And, and they were like, oh, Bob, thanks for doing this, you know. Great and da 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 da, making a fuss of me. They were fantastic, you know. And Angus's wife said, "Let me make you coffee. I'll sit down and make you coffee." She said, "Right, Ella, thanks." You know, blah blah blah. It was it was incredible, you know. The back of my head, he was going, you know, I can imagine, bonk, yeah, bonkers moment. But I didn't show any of that. It was like, just like I'm talking to you, all normal. Yeah, I, I, they were brilliant. And um, we were uh, we had some grub in there, and I was sat with Angus in his suit, and we just chin wagging about stuff. And then the director came out and said, right, boys, you need to come down and um, start start running the stuff. But prior to that, Dickie emailed me the first track. I was going to say, ball. did they send you the song? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was Play Ball, right? So he'd sent me that. So I'd listen on my phone half a dozen times just to, just to get where the crashes were. Or, really minimalistic, right? But I just wanted to try and match what Phil had done, you know? Um, so I'd, I'd add that in my head. And... Um, so we were getting changed. I remember getting changed. Angus put his outfit on. He was having a fag out the window, you know. And uh, the five of us were stood there in a circle, just right. I said, uh, "Oh, we look alright, few boys. I got my waistcoat on over my t-shirt, and you know, they were like, yeah, I look great.' Like you know, and just fucking bizarre. And in my head, I was going, "Fuck me, I'm in ACDC. Yeah. It's the five of us." And the director came up and said, "Right, come on down, then. Let's go." Remember, I was following Angus down the steps. I thought it's, it's like walking down to Madison Square Garden. I said, whatever, you're just bonkers. Just in my brain, I thought I saw these at Donington in 1981, 84, 90. You know, it's like NEC and just nuts, you know. So we walked down to the to the first set and play ball, green screen, all crew in there with cameras on, tracking devices and stuff. And um, we'll just go on with it. You know, I just tested the kit out and give it a good whack, and it was really loud in there. They had two monitors behind me, so they, they played the music back through that, you know. And it was really loud. And I remember Cliff saying to me, you know, oh, I forgot to turn my bloody urinades off, you know. And it was really loud, really loud. And another thing I remember, they were just, they were talking to me over the bass drum. And I remember um, Angus saying, is that a 24? It's big. I said, that was a 26. He said, ooh, I'll give a bit of a thump. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was all chatting. It was just 
They were just normal days. It was amazing. And then we just counted in off the off the playback track, and we were in. I was just going in the back of my head. Last night I was sat in my kitchen. Now Angus Young is duck walking six feet in front of me. <laughs> Brian's turning around and giving me a like, you know, and then Cliff's laughing. It's like, and just if, if you ever seen play ball video, just before the guitar solo, you can see Cliff look at me and smile and laugh like, because he actually turned around to me and he went, "All right, Bobby boy," and I went, "Fucking mental." <laughs> <laughs> You know, Isn't you see Cliff, Cliff turn and laugh, you know. That's, I didn't know you were in that video as well. Yeah, two. Oh, right, I didn't know that. Yeah. I just thought it was rock or bust. Oh, that's mad. Yeah, two of them. Wow. Two. And then um, the director said, okay, um, can we just have Bob on his own, please? And Brian said, you're on your own now, son. And then they all fucked off up to the dressing room. I was on my own, so they had just a track in front of me. So I had to play through the song with the camera in front of me, and I was just in my head going, don't smile, don't laugh. I, and I didn't know where to look. It just—it was nuts. It is odd. Um, yeah. So then um, we were staying. Uh, me, uh, Dick Jones, and um, Jeff, the guitar tech. We were staying in a hotel local to that. We had a fantastic night at the bar. Jeff, the guitar tech, was wonderful. He was just telling so many stories. It was a great night. And the next morning we went in, and it was Rock or Bust, the actual title track. Then that was in the next studio. Right. And they played the dickie. I said, oh, I'll come and give you one of the drums. No, I'll do them. He asked my job. I said, wow, I, I'll help. You know, I, you know, putting the kit up and stuff. And uh, I remember we set it up and their, their backline was there, their, their marshals and their guitars and stuff was all there with my drum kit, you know. And I tell him what was bonkers. Um, I had a text off um, Glenn, make the mind, plays guitarist and a man. He said, uh, Bob, he said, are you playing with ACTC now? Because a photograph had leaked out and he recognised my drum kit. Wow. The VR on it. So I had to ring him. I said, yeah, but just keep me quiet. I said, I tell him what's going on. I kept me quiet, you know. I didn't tell anybody I was, I was doing it unless they had to know yeah. that I need to tell you this because I got to do it. So, um, so then, then we did the rock or bust thing. So again, we went back to the dress rooms, you know, I'm really changing, going down, right, let's go. And I said to Brian, I'm going down the steps. I said, oh, Brian, there's, there's 500 fans from around the world in there, right, expecting Phil Rudd. They said, because they, because everything's kept quiet. Huh? Yeah. I said, they're going to walk down them steps and they, they're going to say, who the fuck is he? And he'd be like, ah, don't worry, man, don't worry. You know, and it was just wonderful. Brian introduced me over the mic and they were all going, bah, bah, bah. And I was just like, you know, um, and we, we, we did like two or three runs of, of that track and the cameras going over the top and all the way around on the dollies and stuff. It was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then Brian said, um, come out for a meal tonight. We'll all go out for a meal. So that's what we did. We met him in um, Chelsea in his local. And we went upstairs and I sat next to him all night. It was me, Brian, um, Dick Jones. Jeff and Brian's wife. We just sat next to him all night. Wow. I was just being normal to him. Didn't ask him about the band, didn't about anything. Just talking about cars and crap and just and then he said to me, um, what are you doing tomorrow? He said, Oh, I'm going home tomorrow. I've got the drums loaded in the car. I said, Oh, we'll have some photos done tomorrow. You know, call in. I said, all right then. So I, I called in and Brian's Ferrari was outside, the red one. And um, I went up and they were all set up. There was a Sony 
picture shoot for the, the new album and the, the tour program and all that kind of stuff. So I, I was there all day with him, having lunch with him and stuff. It's Brian's birthday then, by the way. Oh, wow. And, um, I've just sat, sat chatting the cliff and Angus's guitars are right in front of me, you know, on the tip. And I was just thinking, can I pick him up and have a little twang? I thought, I better not. I wish mm -hmm. I did. But, uh, and then they were having their photos done over the, over the way. You know, on this backdrop and stuff. A photographer from New York and stuff. And then Angus's wife and the tour manager came over and said, Bob, do you want to join him in some photographs? I said, yeah, right then. So, just, so I just, just walked in and they were there waiting for me. Brian said, come on, Bobby, lad. Uh. I stood there with Brian. I'm like, right, Brian. And I was thinking, in my head again, shit, I'm in ACDC. Having these photos done, it's just, oh, you, in my mind, I was transported from Donnie in 81, watching them playing for those about the rock album and Back in Black stuff and whatever, to stood behind Brian and Angus and having photos done with them. A millisecond went like that. Oof. Yeah. Just mind blowing, you know? But, um, and then I saw him then, and, well, to be honest with you, I, I, I came home and I, I didn't say anything to anybody, nothing at all. And then the Monday morning, it went mental. This went mental. Because all the fans from the video shoot from all over the world saw me. Back back to that day, when I came down to, to make sure my stuff was packed away, they all come around me like bloody, just, can we have a stick, can we have a stick, can we have photographs, we'll sign this. It's like insane, absolutely insane. But of course, they put me into Google, didn't they? Yeah. Monday morning or Sunday, whatever, when they had their phones back. All over the place. My phone went mental. All my mates were ringing me, people were ringing me. What's this? What's this? What's happening? What were you doing? So, well, you know, whatever. And I didn't say a word to anybody. Didn't didn't post anything. People were posted on my wall. Oh, you got the gig, you got the gig. Just leave me alone. Leave me alone. Yeah. You know, I didn't say anything. I didn't want to talk about it. Because that's what they like anyway. They don't want anybody talking about it and stuff, you know? Well, no, well, yeah, especially, yeah. And um, just to be that close to, like, one of the biggest rock bands of all time. But they, I'd say they are the biggest band. Okay. I think they are, they are the biggest band in the world, I'd say. I mean, them, them and Guns N' Roses, Metallica. I went to Wembley, right? It was, it was wonderful. They treated us really well. I had laminates, everything. And I watched it from the, from the sound booth. And when it came on a rock or bust, as I told you earlier, I, just, I kind of filled up. Yeah. Emotional. I bet. Having been that close and doing the videos, just watching them playing it live in Wembley Stadium. And then I, I remember going backstage afterwards, I saw Brian, he gave me a massive hug. Yeah. And then he took me out to see Angus and stuff. And, and um, Angus's wife, Alice, said, well, are you all right? You okay? I said, oh, it's a bit emotional. Mine, I said, you know, I was, I was waiting for my phone to ring, you know. <laughs> like, you know. And she went, oh, we thought about you a lot, an awful lot, she said. But because Malcolm had gone, you know, he wanted a familiar face to steady the ship. I said, I totally understand. I'm fine with it. I yeah. am fine with it. I have been fine with it. You know. It's just, a, it's, a, it's a moment that I, I, don't, I don't think about it. Sometimes you get reminded of it, and it's like, oh, that, you know what I mean? It's just, it happened. And sometimes when I really think about it, like sometimes when my missus says to me, you played with ACDC. Yeah, mad, isn't it? 
It is mad. And they've had 65 million views on those two videos, something like that. Well, I, I, well, like I said, I didn't know you were in the other one, but Rock or Bust is on 44 million. Yeah, Play Ball is on 20 million, I think. Yeah, that's probably, yeah, that's probably right. It's insane. 60 odd million for the two. And as people, as people watch you, so that's how many people have watched you play no, drums with ACDC. <laughs> with, my, with my premier, vintage premier kit, you know, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And yet, I remember I was playing in the office in Swansea with Catholic Pride like a week later. <laughs> I and played I felt, there. Oh, wonderful gig. Debbie yeah. the, I felt everybody's eyes just go like this. Staring at me. And I know why they're staying. I grabbed the mic. I said, "Right, I have not joined ACDC." And it, it, it oh, I started laughing and you know, right? I just did the videos, right? You know, and I, I had to play ACDC covers with the boys. Well. <laughs> and you like, what? <laughs> you know, it's, you, you can fuck your head if you, if you let it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it sounds like you've you've dealt with it well. And oh man, you know. I, I'm fine with it. Yeah, I'm, just... I'm, I'm sure. Some, you know, some people could have crumbled with it, being that close, that close to, to you know, mm. get all back to, to, to having a couple of days rehearsal with them and, you know, and see if it fits and, and even getting the gig, you mm. know, because I got on so well with them all, especially Stevie, we swapped phone numbers and, you know, we talked on the phone and he came to see me in rehearsals in Birmingham with another band and he was great, you know, um, to be that close. Well, you never know what you never know what the future might bring, mate. You never know. I'm fine with it, Dean. Yeah, I'm fine with it. I'm fine. I'm yeah. fine with it. And and to be honest with you, playing with Graham Bonnet was the big big thing for me. Yeah, I, I bet. Yeah, that was um, huge. He's one of my favourite vocalists, and Down to Earth by Rainbow is my favourite album. It, it that was the album that kind of turned me to this genre and that style and stuff. And um, then to speak to him on the phone for an hour and a half, and basically I told him what set I, I wanted to do because he was so amiable. So oh, well, well, you know. I said, well, I want to I want to base it on the down to earth set that I saw when I was fifteen at Donington. I said, but minus the big solos, minus you know, that's when he nagged me to do a little solo. But but anyway, and I said I want to do some songs that you never played live off the down to earth album as well, which we did. Cool. So I ended up playing a rainbow set based on the down to earth tour with. A singer from Rainbow that I saw at Donington, you know, since he'd been gone, I played those songs with him in front of me with Cozy's kit. You know, and he'd be turning around on stage and looking at me over the drums going, I go, fuck, <laughs> since we gone with him or whatever, you know, Eyes of the World, it's just, that blew my mind. Mental. How, how, how did that opportunity come about then with the Graham Bonnet? Um, my mate Ian from Birmingham, who was in Shy with, with me, um, he's a big Blackmore fan, right. an Armstrong fan, and um, we said, "Oh, let's let's do a Rainbow tribute band," because he had a Purple tribute band that I helped out and played in and stuff, which I love all the, the, the Purple stuff. Yeah. And um, I asked Carl Sentence to do it. I said, "Carl, would you want to sing these?" Yeah, let's do it. So we did several gigs at this Rainbow tribute band um, with Carl Sentence singing. It was. It was banging, i got to be honest. I was sticking. I said, I want it exactly as it's supposed to be, like the record. Right? The sounds, everything played as it should be. And um, a promoter rang me up once. He said, um, I think they're getting Graham Bonnet over. How would you feel if 
you know, getting your band to to back him. What? Fucking right. You know, so that eventually come to be. So we did like a British tour on Cozy's Kit, playing rainbow songs with one of my favourite singers of all time, off one of my favourite albums, in front of me. Fantastic. <laughs> just, so I see they just so they just flew him over and and provided him a band. Yeah. yeah, right. I get it. Right. Yeah, and he he he, he loved it because because we we sounded because I I want I said I want this to sound. You shut your eyes, sound like Rainbow did up front, because I was such a stickler. So I yeah. I played all the parts like Cozy did, you know with that style. Ian sounds like Richie if he wants to. He can sound like you know anybody, but he's he's that style of playing. The keyboard player Neil. He got all the sounds in all the right places, all everything correct, and it was just like, wow! You shut your eyes with Graham singing. Like, fuck me, is this like from forty years ago? You know, it was insane. Wow. I remember we were in Edinburgh. I think it was the Liquid Rooms in Edinburgh. You might have played it. No, I haven't actually. No. Um, we were playing Catch the Rainbow, the long song. It was nice and slow. I had my head down, just playing cross stick and just riding. Graham started talking to the crowd about. How Donnie rang him and said, told him Cozy died. And I'm there, and on my brain started going, shit. I'm Graham from Rainbow, who's talking about when Don called him to say Cozy died. And I just started. Sorry, tear, tears. Yeah. The emotion was just, it was bonkers. I just, you know what I mean? Some people might look and say, oh, you dull bastard. Or, no. But being a rainbow fan, being a massive rainbow fan, cozy fan, Graham fan, being in that situation, fucking nuts. It's just nuts. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So he's, uh, I, you know, he's a good mate now. And, and a couple of weeks ago, it was August the 16th, it was the 40th anniversary of the first Monsters of Rock. Right? The 40th anniversary of the first wow. Donington. Wow. I had a Donington day playing all, all, the, all the bootlegs and stuff. and. And I watched the DVD of Rainbow with Don, and I messaged Graham. I said, great. I said, I'm having a Don in the day. I said, I'm watching the DVD. And he messaged me back. He said, hi, oh, Bob. Good to hear from me. He said, that's a gig I'll never forget. Oh, wow. Wonderful. Wonderful. That was 40 years ago. You know. But yeah, that was the, that was the big thing for me. You know. Another another bizarre moment is um, playing Eye of the Tiger with Dave Bickler, the original singer from Survivor. Oh, wow. That's that was another one. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. Looking at Ben, looking at Ben and the boys in the band, you know, um, we had Jim Kirk, Kirkpatrick on one guitar from FM, right? And he says, I'm the one who gets to go like this. To bring the track in, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, again, I had a call from the same agent say, uh, saying, I'm bringing Dave Bickner on. Can you put a band together for a tour? Fuck yeah, you know. We had to learn all Survivor, a set of Survivor songs and a couple of Dave's Soul album songs, which is a brilliant album, by the way. Okay. Um, so I got the band together. So I had Glenn Quinn from Son of Man on guitar. He's the first man I put on the list because he's brilliant. Um, keyboards was Marco from Son of Man. Bass was Dominic from Buckingham Evans. And another guitar player, Jim Kirkpatrick from FM. So we learned all these Survivor songs. We rehearsed it. We first gig was in London in the garage. Went went down the storm. Brilliant. So we were playing these Rocky songs, man. We played Eye of the Tiger and Burning Heart. 
I can imagine they were course. mental, yeah. But, 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 and we all looked at each other going, what the fuck did we get here? What the fuck, you know? <laughs> and then it's like, you come, you come, and then Rocky's on the telly, and they're playing Rocky, so you play, fuck, how did that happen? It's just bizarre. And that's amazing, yeah, though. It's, it's good that they come to you. It's great that you had that opportunity, and they, they thought of you to be the man to put the band yeah. together. Yeah, well, it's only because they did the, 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 the Graham thing, and, the, you know, it's a good band and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. But, um, uh, lots of bizarre things like that. Another one that came to mind was um, Ten Pole Tudor, Swords of a Thousand Men. Ed Tudor Pole, the guitar player and singer, supported Man in the Patty. Right. And backstage, he said, uh, Do you want to get up and play this song? I said, Well, I, oh, all right then. So we made a scratch band, literally there and then. A couple of my mates were there who knew it, you could play it. We had a little bit of a run to address. We went up and played it with him. Crazy. You know, and Swords of a Thousand Men. You're too young to know what it was, but um, he was a big hit back in the day. I think I might have heard it. I think I, I think I have heard it, but it's not something I would know well. No, no. Yeah, no, no, that's fantastic. Know. And then what? what what's but, the but, what's the Dave Edmonds story? Oh, well, I was in Germany on tour with man, and we were in Lübeck. We did a gig in Lübeck. My phone goes. I was Paul Martinez, bass player. Um, now Paul was playing with Edmonds at the time, but Paul had also been in Robert Plant's band and he played with Led Zeppelin at Live Aid in Philadelphia. That's we don't know who Paul, Paul is, yeah. Wow. And I, I, I knew Paul and he said, um, um, can you do a gig with Dave? Dave, uh, Dave Edmonds wants you to do a gig um, in the end of May somewhere. I said, I don't know Dave, I've never met Dave. He said, how does he, how does he, you know, he always phoned a few people and, you know, spoke to Kingsley Rockfield and a few other people and, you know, your name come up and, you know, we, we want to do the gig. So then Dave rang me at home and um, we went down and had rehearsal in Rockfield and I ended up doing loads of gigs with Edmonds that year. He's a phenomenal guitar player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing, playing songs like Girls Talk and Queen of Arts, the songs that I went and bought as singles as a kid. Yeah, when you were a kid, so, yeah, yeah. Going, I'm doing back of and playing these songs with Dave Edmonds. And Paul Martinez has played with Led Zeppelin over there on the bass. You know, and this is just, this is basically Rockpile, the band Rockpile. And there's Darren Watkins on the piano, Billy Bremner on the guitar. And turn around, we're in Belgium in this huge festival, and it's Susie Quattro. Uh, but she was watching. She was watching. Uh-huh. It was nuts. And, and um, follow on to that, back in the hotel in the evening, we were all sat around this big table, all having a drink. And Susie was, I think she was sat there. And my phone went, it was my dad. How'd the gig go, son? Yeah. And I said to Susie, like, and said, my dad, my dad. She went, give me the phone. So she grabbed the phone like that. She went, hello, Susie Quattro speaking. And, and my dad, he, he dined out there. He went down the club. He said, I rang our Bob and uh, I spoke to Susie Quattro. <laughs> That's amazing. Just things like that. It's just like bonkers. Yeah, so good memories, man. That's awesome. Well, yeah. You, you never it's know what's it's all bonkers, but it's all memories. Yeah, exactly. Oh. And you never, you never know what else is going to come up. What? Sorry, what were you going to say? The Bill Ward story. Yes, this, I don't know about this. Come on. Well, we were playing a gig with a man named Blackpool. Right. Peter Williams, who I told you earlier, was Modred's tour manager for a while. He was driving us. And he had a phone call from um, Mikey Clement, who's uh, Tony Iommi's guitar tech. Now Mikey's from Swansea, and. Um, 
I hear him say, no, I can't do it. I won't be home till six in the morning, but I'll get Bob will do it because he lives nearer. What's that, Pete? Will you take Bill Ward to Bristol tomorrow? Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so I was down Mono Valley Studios at 10 o'clock in the morning, right? Coming from Blackpool, I was a bit, bit, bit tired, but hey, pulling into Mono Valley. Have you ever been to Mono Valley? I have once, yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful I'm... place. I've done some demos in there, and huge doors, and it's just a beautiful place. So I remember going in there, meeting um, Mikey Clement, and uh, Ozzy came walking up towards me, right? So had they, had they been recording there? Black Sabbath had been recording? Rehearsing, right. right. Tony had already gone, but Ozzy came walking in the room, and uh, I thought, Black, it's Ozzy, really? And Mike said, oh, Oz, this is Bob, Bob, Oz. And I, went, oh, yeah. I shook hand. And I remember Ozzy putting his hands in his pockets and pulling out some German Deutschmarks. I said, well, what the fuck is this? What's this? And Mike said, oh, Deutschmarks, Oz, we were in Germany last week. Oh, <laughs> so it was bizarre. And I remember um, Ozzy was on his way. Home. He was going home, right? And his Range Rover was outside, and his, his personal assistant was driving. But my car was in the way, right? This is bonkers. <sighs> so Tony, his assistant, kept saying, Oh, can you move your car, please? Eh, no worries. So I like, moved my car. As I pulled my car back, Ozzy was in the passenger seat with the Range Rover. As I pulled my car back, the Range Rover came out, and Ozzy let out of the window and went, Just another, another bizarre thing. But then, um, Bill, Bill came down with his case and his, you know, nice jumper on and nice short hair. He was, he was a lovely man. So he jumped in the car and I took him to Bristol. Took him to, to a hotel in Bristol where he was meeting his son. And we had like a conversation all the way down and uh, told him I was in man. He said, oh man, what a great band. He said, I saw loads of times, you know, blah, blah, blah. And um, nice. lovely, lovely fella, Bill. And then we drove past the Colston Hall, right? And I said, I went to see you in there with Sabbath on Heaven and Hell Tour. And if, this is do my head. It's like from fifteen year old watching NL. Yeah. He's now in the bar passing the bloody gig, Bill. You know, and he said, "Oh yeah, I remember that that time well. You know, my mum had just died and stuff like that. So I didn't. He said I didn't have a good time back then. All oh, right. But he bought me lunch in hotel. We had dinner. He was what a lovely man. Lovely, lovely man. You see, he comes across. Like, obviously, I've never met him, but he. He comes across nice and down to earth in interviews and things. Oh, yeah, articulate and you know, lovely, yeah. lovely fellow. He's one. He's a great drummer as well. Um, oh yeah, underrated. Well, I don't think he is underrated because most of the people I've spoke to. Oh, was, as he, an influence, he's, yeah, he's influential. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, in terms of yeah, I think yeah, I know what you mean. I think yeah, influential. They all. Most of the guys have said Bill Ward was like one of my influences back in the day. Mm. And um, I didn't really do, I've always known Black Sabbath. I think my dad took us to, I think it was, I think it was Ozfest or Down or Donington when Black Sabbath headlined. And I didn't appreciate it at the time, which is stupid. I was quite young. And so I, I think I've seen him live. But then when I got to like 20, I think it was 23, 24, I went through a big Black Sabbath phase. I did. And then it blew me away just listening to the first yeah. few albums. Well, the yeah. first one album, absolutely mind blowing. Yeah, and I think it, it did. It's all real as well, isn't it? It's all real. Yeah, it's real. real. Yeah, playing, just you know. Yeah. And then, um, and I, I blew my mind. So like, I think I've been influenced indirect, well, indirectly because all of my influence have probably been influenced by him. But actually, listening to those first Sabbath albums properly opened me up 
because he did everything from like a kind of jazz world that he was just in a i guess yeah. metal yeah. jazz swing stuff lots of triplets and yeah. a lot of swingy stuff and i was like ah yeah it still sound- one of you see because those those older guys um next generation above me they were yeah. listening to, to to swing stuff big band stuff and louis balson stuff double bass drum louis balson yeah and lots of jazz kind of influences um and, and then they put that style into that current heavy thing that what they did you know which then created the whole new genre itself totally yeah so that's right that's why i was quite fascinated because i think i i cured a lot like i guess everyone knows paranoid and i guess that's probably not the best example of the jazzy drumming and that's what i thought black sabbath was and then to actually go back and listen to all the albums i was like oh my god this is my some of it was a a brilliant yeah you know um very musical yes exactly Um, and colorful is his his own words he said to me he said i i color the music ah that's really nice which it's an emotional kind of attachment to it isn't it you know which is why i go back to saying about how i do it emotionally you got to like use these 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 and this and feel it and stuff you know yeah um, but um the cozy bash i do every year oh i remember um i kind of knew i knew neil murray a bit and um don airy a bit and tony martin a bit and we were having this meal up in Cyrochester, and i said to him I got Cozy's kit. I said, I, I want to do a, a memorial concert. They said, if I do, would you guys take part and we'll play those songs? And they all said, yeah. Awesome. It was like, as soon as I left, they went, wow, now I've got to organize this. Now I'm panicking. You know, I had to put a band, a core band together. Then I had to kind of organize a set, the songs. You know, so it was going to start with Rainbow. Then it's going to be NSG. Then um, uh, Black Sabbath stuff. Yeah. Um, so it turned out to be three hours of music of all those bands of all the big well-known numbers of those bands amazing uh, the msg stuff i got ted mckenna who sadly passed away only three weeks after it um ted Ted was playing the the drums the msg stuff chris glenn on the bass who was in alex harvey and msg um i had neil murray playing the white snake and the black sabbath stuff and um uh, tony martin was singing the sabbath songs as well Nice. Uh, different, uh, Harry James came in from Thunder on the drums. Russell Gilbrook. Because I know they were Cozy fans as well. So I, I phoned these guys up and asked them. Mike Tarana is another one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and obviously Ted McKenna. And and this year, Nigel got involved. Nigel Glockler. Glockler, yeah. He, he loved it. He had a scream. Um, of course, they all played my Cozy kit. And so I, I had the set written out and the drummers would come in and do two or three songs each you know and i i the first cozy bash i was stressing out like oh man it's a lot to organize yeah it must be so much to organize Ram. it was ram and they loved it they had video screens playing videos and stuff going on and I, I was like yes all right and it's like hang on i'm running around looking for people bob it's your turn you're up next what oh. <laughs> didn't even have a chance to change just and it was the same this year it didn't have a chance to change it's just mental so there's playing some some rainbow songs and then and then i did some white snake songs and i remember we did walking in the shadow of the blues which is a, one of my favorite snake songs again i saw them back in the day i looked to my left 
and there's Neil Murray stood there. <laughs> and I go, dun, 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 dun. and I'm looking at him in my head, going, fuck me. One of my favourite bass players stood there, and Neil, Neil goes, nice. I'm I playing Cody's kit with Neil Murray there, you know. Just blew my mind again. And then when we did the Sabbath set, I played two Sabbath songs with two members of Black Sabbath. That's incredible, yeah. With Tony Martin singing out front and Neil Murray on the bass. Playing Headless Cross, you know, and those Sabbath songs that Cozy played on. Yeah. They are the things that stand out for me. Playing with yeah. Graham. Yeah. Playing with these guys from Sabbath. And, and then this year, I did the Michael Schenker stuff with Chris Glenn. That was cool. another bucket list, you know, so... Because I grew up with Cozy playing in Michael Shank, who off the Buddha Khan album. So I knew every bloody fill, all of everything, even with the cowbell went. And nice. I even borrowed the actual cowbell that Cozy used from Rainbow. What? On the kit. I made that it. So we had, it was a bit of a laugh, really. Yeah. Graham. I'd go, Graham, bang, 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 bang. And he'd go, oh, here's the cowbell. You recognize, recognize the pitch of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's the same cowbell used on Stargazer. Oh, wow. Right, off the record. Wow. And he lived on in Denver. I added on the kit then. So. Yeah, I mean, just that blew my mind. The work with these guys on stage was just, that's a dream for me. All that kind of stuff. Work with Graham, work with the guys from White Snake and Sabbath, you know, obviously the DC thing. So I, I don't care anymore. Yeah, I, you've done, yeah, exactly. You've ticked a lot of boxes. <laughs> All my boxes, whatever. Just enjoy, just enjoy whatever comes. Yeah. And, so yeah. obviously this year, is, is it, there's not a cozy bash this year, Presumably no. because of this virus and all that. Because of this nonsense, yeah. And I won't but say anymore. You would have, you would have done one otherwise. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Nice. People, um, the feedback I had from it was phenomenal. The the reviews were coming up, and the people were saying, "Oh my God, best gig I've been to all year." Wow. All those songs we grew up listening to in one night with people who were in those bands with him. Yeah, that is amazing. Which is basically what I would have wanted to see. Yeah. So I put on what I wanted to see. Incredible. Yeah. And, they, and they just can't wait to next year. People flew in from Japan, wow. Ireland, Scotland, everywhere. They flew from everywhere. What, what venue was it in? The Robin 2 in, in uh, Bilston. Right. You must have played the Robin 2. I have no, 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 I can't say I ever have, no. It's um, a fabulous venue right in the, in the black country in the middle of the right. Midlands. No, I definitely haven't done that. Great That's place. It's a... all the time. What kind of capacity is that then? 750. All oh, right, yeah, not big enough for that. <laughs> nah, but yeah, you, you never know. But um, ah, nice, that's amazing. But uh, you know, I'm trying to get trying to get Brian May and Tony Iommi down. They knew about it. They knew about it. Wow. They knew about it, but it's like oh, oh, kind of busy that night, you know. But you yeah, know, the word got out. Look, Neil's there, Neil Murray's there, Tony Martin's there. You never know, then. You know, it's all done properly. All food laid on for our hotels. Like, everything's all done. Yeah. You know? If they just turn up with one song, like, you know, maybe, never know. Never know next year, maybe. And oh. oh, man. I'll have to, well, I think I was on tour. No, no, it was, was it around Christmas time? It was December the 29th, in the middle of Christmas in New yeah, York. Yes, really awkward time. I think I was, ah, I was in Australia. Yeah, I, 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 I go away for New Year's a lot with my wife, and that was why. Otherwise, I would have been. Well, it was Cozy's birthday on the 29th of December. So there's always so going to be there. Right. That's why it's called the birthday bash. Yeah, makes and sense. I thought, <laughs> I thought nobody's going to be on tour between Christmas and New Year. That's true. If I did it, if I did it in the summer or in, in March, April, people are on tour. Yeah. So I wouldn't get these guys. 
you know. That's I know good. I know Chris Glenn was saying, Oh, I gotta go to Gunrus with Schenker. But he put Schenker off for a couple of days to, to come and do us. I'm like, wow. Nice. You know? So Chris Schenker knew about it, Michael Schenker knew about it. I I'd love Schenker to be there one day, but I yeah. But I meant to be I meant to be playing with it playing with him in December. I don't know if it's gonna go ahead or not, because um Schenker Fest thing, they're two of Yeah, yeah, Schenker Fest thing, because it was meant to be in April, and obviously that got postponed. So at the moment, it's technically on in December, but who knows? Well, we're supposed to be doing Planet Rockstock in December. Yeah, and we are. So they're they're the only, yeah, Planet Rockstock and the Michael Schenker Fest thing are the only things that are technically not cancelled. Are we on the same day? I don't know, I have no idea. I hope so. I hope so because it'll be it'll be the it'll be like Sally on the piano singing and and it'll be you guys playing Killed by Death. Yeah, I know. Yeah, probably. I will. I'll be there. I'll be if, there, man. Killed by Death. It, to, to be honest, even if we're not on the same day, I'll try and definitely come up and watch you guys because we're not going to be on tour. And it's only down the road, isn't it? It's not far. Yeah. And um, yeah. so I've only ever seen you guys once. So yeah, well, so like. I want to talk a little bit about Chris Buck for anyone, any of our listeners who might not know who he is yet. Because he's... Who's he? He's, he's this guitar guy, I think. I, I saw him on YouTube. Oh, oh yeah. He's, yeah, and and he's, he's yeah. quite good. He's, um, I've got one of his guitars here. I think I'll sell it. I'll get a lot of money for it. It's his strat. It's, it's mad. So he's, he's... Well, is he in his 20s? Is he 30 yet? He's still in his 20s? Yeah, late twenties now. Late twenties, but um, I'm telling people I discovered him. You probably did. Well, I tell you, I tell you what happened. He was, uh, I think he was about sixteen or seventeen or something like that. He was, um, it was a rock and pop competition for school bands, and, and I was looking after this band, and, and I remember remember walking backstage, and he was there with his all his hair, and he was playing his Les Paul, and I just stopped, and I said, "Wow, wow." And I said, oh, you know what you're doing, don't you? And he went, oh, well, thanks, thanks. Because you, know? you could tell. You just, you just knew it was talent. You knew it was something pure. There. Yeah. And what was bizarre about it is, is my sister works with his mother. Okay. And, um, my sister said to me, oh, I, I work with this, this, this woman whose son plays guitars. It was Chris Buck. And he, he's a video. I said, oh, that kid I saw, spoke to. And his mother said, oh, I work with a woman whose brother plays drums with a man and these uh, people. Oh, that's that bloke I saw. So I rang him up. He said, oh, come on down the house. So we had a jam in there on my electric kit and he was just phenomenal, top of his head. Yeah. And um, we just kept in touch. I got him involved in, in the early formation of Son of Man on the early demos and stuff. He'd done some gigs with us. Ah, cool. And, um, and then Buck and Evans was formed and he asked me to join Buck and Evans. Um, and yeah, musically, I think we are very much alike because we we do things on stage like I'm not looking at him, he's not looking at me, and then we do the same rhythmic pattern over something. Could be a bit a triplet or something, and then we look at each other and go, "Oh, we play mm. the same thing without even knowing," you know, or he's playing a solo, and then I know something's coming, and I play the same thing as him, and then he just looks and grins. That's how. That's what it's like. So they, they, you've got some some unique chemistry going on there. Yeah, it's always been like that. We 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 always play off each other. 
you know, if he if he starts something, I can just kind of go with him. You know, if I start doing something, he'll pick up what I'm doing and, and go around around there. Mickey Jones is like that for man. Mickey was a phenomenal player as well. Yeah, a lot of people said, oh, well, I used to work in a guitar shop. Everyone used to talk about him all the time. Uh, obviously, all the call the Cardiff guys and that. He's a lo- local legend, obviously. Uh, and more well, than your that. Dad, your dad knows, obviously, Mickey. Like, so, yeah. Yeah, Mickey was great. Yeah, that's, right. that's how we kind of work off each other and with each other. It's interesting how you met he's him so young. Old, old Ed. Yeah. You know, he's obviously he's influenced by a lot of the traditional... Well, his, his main thing is blues, right? But he takes it to another level from where... From what I've seen, I've watched a lot of his videos. Like, I'm not yeah, really a good... Feel. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's feel and the, this right-hand technique. And that's, that's the difference between him and other guitarists. I think it's just... He's got his own style. You can, you can kind of tell who he's influenced by. You can tell there's a little bit of, like, John Mayer, like, Clapton... That like Stevie Ray, yeah, Stevie Ray Vaughan, obviously. And um, I, I see, a, I see a bit of George Formby in him sometimes, mind <laughs> Yeah, probably. When when he's cleaning windows, that <laughs> <laughs> is bad. But yeah, but, be, so, but yeah, basically, anyone who's interested in guitar music, uh, he's got loads. Of, he's got a quite a big YouTube following, I believe, from what I've seen. So yeah, so that's amazing. That's insane. But, but thankfully, he's using the Buckingham Evans channel. That's great. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, so, so he uses was, that. He uses that for his own. Yeah, yeah. Ah. yeah. But our videos are on there. I mean, when we do a video, he's getting fifty, sixty thousand hits. You wow. know, within a few, few weeks or whatever. So yeah, they do, they've got good hits on there. Fantastic. Mm. But yeah, he's a yeah, great guitarist. Check him out. Check out Buck and Evans. Loads of, well, of course. So, yeah, yeah, obviously, said a man. Um, check I, out the I, new I, albums. I used to message your dad back in the day. He said, Oh, we're doing a we've got a Christmas at the party coming up. Are you around? Come up and jam with us. And he'd be, Oh, I'm still away. You don't, he, you always he, used to tour he, in December, yeah. Yes, yeah, they'd finish on the 19th of December, and I would give you the bloody 18th or something, you know. Yeah, that's quite common, that was. Yeah, because yeah. I always remember he was always away and then he'd come home a few days before Christmas. Yeah. I was, like, that's, how, that's just how it was, sadly. But, um, yeah, yeah, because, I, I mean, I said, look, come up and jam some man songs with us, you know. And I was doing a jazz gig. I think it was last year, somewhere on Wednesday night. And I, I think he texted me or I texted him back and then he rang me. He said, he said, when's this gig? I said, oh, so, so. He said, oh, I can't again. I'm away. Mm. Yeah. yeah, hopefully one. Hopefully we'll, yeah, I'll come. I'll come up with him if we're around. Yeah. The problem is, it's everyone tours around the same time, and it's so hard to get to see other bands and other your friends' bands and stuff because you're always doing stuff at the same time. And I, I, I actually get to what I go to less gigs now. I don't go to any now hardly at well, all. I, I know people. Yeah. Well, I just don't say hello, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't go to many. Because you're spending so many, so much of your own time at them, and most of the ones you want to go to clash with your own, I mm. find. But then, but then it's a busman's holiday. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like, uh, I've got to yeah. I, I can't go anywhere without earplugs. Yeah, I, can't. I wear them all the time now. I, can't, I, I wear them on the Arley, because on the Arley, the Arley's loud. I bet. Right? I'm like a Spitfire, but then... I got speakers in my, and I got music 
playing on my helmet as well. Have you? So I've got to put plugs in to tone it all down so I can still hear everything. But still, yeah. Ah, that's yeah. cool though. Like my mouse mat. You need some Jack Daniels and a picture of Lemmy for anyone who's yeah. not watching. Yeah. Some, some people are listening just on audio. Oh, so, right, so, right, um, right, right. But uh, yeah, so um, that's cool. Nice. Yeah, so, it's, so you obviously knew Lemmy a um, bit. Not, not brilliantly, but, no. you know, uh, every time he'd come to Cardiff or Bristol or Newport, we'd hook up and, you know, I'd end up um, in the dressing room drinking Jack Daniels with him. He'd gone and pissed a few times even before they went on stage. Oh, yeah. Christ alive. Well, he's you know, been there all day. What else is he going to do? Yeah, in his, you know, in little dressing room in Bristol. I remember yeah. my dad came in, your dad used to come in and sit down with three of us, had a chat once. But then he'd be sat there the same, and he'd go, so Jack, yeah, again. So he'd, he'd pour a massive measure of Jack in his coat. Oh. So he'd be chin wagging like that, dad. Oh, no, no, no. I remember I'd be hammered before they went on. It's insane how we used to be able to play, like, well, I guess he, it didn't really affect him so much. No, it didn't. He told me. He told me once um, in Cardiff, because um, I just I would just go in the dressing room with him and just meet him, chatting for ages, and he'd be on his bandit and he'd be talking and stuff. And I mean, how I first met him was um, eighty nine in the San Moritz in London. Okay. <laughs> but that was before I played in Man or anybody there. So, but. How I got to know afterwards, I knew Tim Butcher, his bass tech, really well. Yeah. And someone I knew was working on the tour, and they were in Newport Centre. So I got took up side stage, that was your dad's side. Your dad was there, they were playing Ace of Spades or something, and I was stood watching. It was great. And then um, let me say over the mic, this was fucking bonkers. He said, you've got great rock and roll in Wales. You've got Dave Edmonds and the man band. All right. Fucking play with that. And I thought, I've got to go meet this guy. I've got to go meet him properly. So I said to Tim, I said, I'd love to meet him. You know, just joined the man band. All right, all. So he took me in the dressing room. And uh, he said, Lamb, this is Bob. He's just joined uh, the man band. He's a new drummer. And he went, oh, yeah, Bob, I was Mickey and Deacon, everybody. And that cool. was it. Wow. That was it. He was wonderful. Always had time for me. Even they played Bristol once. Remember he cut his finger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They called, he texted me. Bobby said, I, I cut my finger, the gig's off. Don't, don't waste your time coming down. He thought of me to text me. And I can't get over that. You know? Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, so nice. Yeah. And that's what he was like. And every time we'd be in town, I'd, I'd go down and be in there for hours chatting. I remember once I just me and him in there and someone come and said, oh, come and see um, Saunders Saunders upstairs. And, and he put his hat on. He said, look after my room, Bob. Yeah. And off we go and he'd come back and stuff. And we'd have a chin wag again. And um he gave me a bottle of Jack one night, and uh, he opened his case. And he went, "Yeah, I said, I said, "Oh, you'd have to give me that, then." He said, "I fucking wouldn't if I didn't want to." You know. <laughs> yeah, that's what he was and, like. And he, he he got a pen out and he wrote his his house phone number, his mobile phone number, and his address down. Yeah, have Fucking, he gave me his phone numbers. And I I phoned him, you know, a couple of times. I spoke to him on the phone a few times. But what a one. He was generous, um, witty. He used to show me his drawing books with all his cartoons in there. You ever yeah. seen them? I, I've only seen all them. Like I've never seen them cat. in person. No, I've never seen them in person. But And he, he'd go, and he'd open up, look at that one. 
and I'd be pissing myself because it'd be like a sketch, like a Monty Python or Spike Milligan sketch. Yeah, yeah. Just insane. Fucking funny as fuck. Oh, he texts me jokes, you know. Fucking hell. <laughs> Sense of humour, but uh, he was a lovely, lovely man. Yeah. You know, like, really, really nice. I mean, always looked after me. The last time I saw him in Bristol, he texted me, he said, um, any problem, ring this number, you know, speak to the tour manager, da-da-da-da-da. I opened up my envelope, it was two laminate AAA passes. Wow, yeah. And then when I, when I eventually got back to see him afterwards, and um, I said, oh, thanks for your time, Lem. And he said, I always got time for you, Bob. And I was just hmm. like, Oh. Wow. Yeah. I just like hit me. And he he was amazing. He was amazing. Obviously I didn't know him like you might have known him or you don't know where he would be, obviously, but every time he was with me, he always gave me his time and you know, he was he was amazing. Awesome. I, yeah. It sounds like you know, everyone loads says loads of times. Yeah, I bet he did. <laughs> But yeah, like, like yeah. you know, you just reiterate what everyone else says about him. Um, he come, I guess, he comes across as like, like yeah. the people who don't know him as he's, he's a yeah. bit hard, a bit scary. But then, when, as soon as you get chatting to him, he's just a That's nice. That's right, Back in the day, when you know they were massive back in the day, Amersmith days, and no sleep, Amersmith, and I said, "Oh my God, he wouldn't want to." You know, they look scary. He was just yeah, and and I think. I think he gave me the time because he knew I was in one of his favourite bands. That probably helped, but he obviously must have liked you as a person, otherwise he yeah, wouldn't have continued to give you that service. He, he loved Man, he loved Dave Edmonds, yeah. so we had those things in common, and it turned out he loved ACDC as well. Yeah. It's like, it's just, wow. Yeah. And I, I think that's probably got something to do with it. You know, we always had time. We were chatting for ages in the dressing room, just me and him. But yeah. whatever. I think a lot, a lot of, like, they were always very open to, like, meeting the fans and the fan club people. And I think everyone says the same kind of thing. Uh, people who got to meet him and go backstage with him. You know, he's, he appreciated his fans, like, more than anything, really. So I think for people who were... Who, you know, he, I think a lot of people who were in the fan club, like, have all met, like, like a lot of them have met yes. Lemmy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because that's what they were like. They were like, yeah. it was very welcoming. Yeah. And yeah. you get to see a sound check if you were lucky and things like that. So, you know, yeah. but uh, no, it's, it's, well, it's nice they, to know. They were fucking loud, man. Yeah, I know. I remember what I did, I did a tour once. I didn't, no, I went on tour with them for like a week. Just, I think I'd finished uni. So I went out, it was a UK tour. And I, I just helped out a little bit with some of the assistant guys. I didn't really do much, to be honest. I just sat around, watched the show and ate the food. And But I remember I walked across the stage during the, when they were setting up and Tim just played a chord on the bass. Yeah. And I, I wasn't expecting it. And yeah. I, I, it was the loudest thing I've ever heard in my life because it was yeah. coming out of the monitors and the, the, the stacks. And I just happened to be in the middle of both. I was like, how the hell yeah. do they play on stage? Because I'd only ever been side stage and it's loud there. Yeah. Without anything directly kind of. But, but it's bizarre because he, he never used to go, pardon, what? Hey, no, hey. I, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And he, he was never drunk. He says, he says, oh, I, I can't get drunk anymore. She's like, <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Yeah. You know. 
No, it's good stories, man. Good, good times. Obviously, obviously, what's happened has happened. It's sad, but everyone knows it's sad, and this hey, the, the, the memory will live on. He's an icon. Yeah, and a, a, and a legend. Totally. Um, but they they were a force to be reckoned with live. Yeah. I say to people, if you you know you never see that thing again, that beast. No. Like, because he was something else. You no. know, I remember Mickey Jones went down because Mickey hadn't seen Lem for a while. So me, Mickey, and George went down to Bristol, and uh, Mickey was a bit deaf as well because of all these fifty years of playing. Yeah, I remember we were stood in Colston Hall in the front few rows by the side door. Yeah, just in the hallway, and they fired up, and I remember Mickey going, "Fuck you!" Well, Brim do that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I went when when they kicked off with uh, you know the bomber, oh, or some of those. Oh Christ, just phenomenal! It just, just like, blows you away immediately, doesn't it? It's just instant overkill at the end. Mental. Incredible. Yeah. You know, just love it, love it. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. He, he was in the car once, then, and we were in Cardiff afterwards. And I was I was driving that late, so I, I wasn't drinking, and. Uh, he said, where are you going then? He said, oh, we're going down into town, into Cardiff. Oh, okay. I said, I'll give you a lift if you want. Yeah, right. So it was Lem, Dan. Dan, yeah, the assistant guy. Yeah, and um, another guy who worked for VH1 or something, so they were all in my car. Mm-hmm. Into Cardiff. Lem was in the back of the car. And I remember him saying to me, um, I had one of these the black sun visor things stuck in the window so the sun wouldn't, when my son was in the in the yeah. I, you know, I know what you mean. I was driving around, I hear him say, What's this, Bob? I said, It's a Ford Mondeo Lem. No, this! <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. That was really funny. <laughs> and I was taking a car if I said, Right, Lem, that's the Millennium Stadium, but they would play rugby, you know. Said, All right, it's just bonkers. <laughs> yeah. You know, Class. fond memories of him. He was, he was lovely to me. Yeah, no, good. Yeah. That's great to hear, man. So we're coming to the end now. Then we, I yeah, always ask this. Hey, I, this is your longest one, isn't it? It probably is my longest one, which is cool. So good. Sorry to take up your, your afternoon. That's fine. People will be sleeping, going, "Oh my god, he doesn't he go on?" Jesus Christ! No, but the thing about <laughs> thing about it though, you can just watch it in bits, like or wow. listen to it. In, like I listen to long podcasts, and yeah. I just put a five minutes on here or ten minutes there or half hour here, and you it just you just pick up from where you left off. So mm-hmm. it's cool. But what I always ask everyone, so I think this would be really interesting coming from you and saying who your influences were. If you could, if you could build yourself a dream band with, with yourself on the drums, the members can neither be dead or alive. Who, who would be in the band with you? Well, I said it earlier. It'd be Rainbow, Graham Bonnet, Richie Blackmore, Don Airy and Roger Glover. So he would literally be, that's what it would be. That, that lineup. Yeah. And I used to, once I saw Donington, I would dream of playing Donington. Right. And I did play Donington. You did? Let's talk about that quickly then. In, in 2016 with Buck and Evans. That yeah. was, I said, oh my God, I have achieved another dream of playing yeah. Donington Park. Um, it was a bit of an anticlimax on the day because the weather was shit. Ah. And it was all rush, 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 rush. But to be on that massive stage. Uh, you played the main stage, right? Played the second stage. The second stage was still huge. We so you played an outdoor, an outdoor stage, yeah. Massive. 
it was bigger than the old Monsters of Rock stages. It was fucking huge. Yeah. And the sound was amazing. Sound, it was wonderful. Play the actual play part was wonderful. Sound was brilliant. But it was mud everywhere. It was hammering with rain. Yeah. And I remember being in the catering area and I bumped into Nigel Glockner there and and um and I saw Adrian Smith, he was there as well, and we were on the chat and uh the rain was teeming down and I was just thinking I want to see Iron Maiden later, you know. And um and I just started thinking, do you know what I want to go home? Because of the rain, yeah. Damp. It's just I want to go home. And we trudged through the mud, it was horrendous. And I I'm not a massive fan of the download multi stages, multi bands. I like the old days, you know, and there's just so much going on, you don't know where to go. But uh and the, and the problem yeah. is in that in those conditions for you to get from one stage to another it's like it's like I didn't, a, I didn't get to my dressing room to change I changed on the side of the stage because it was easier yeah I know what you mean and it was a it was a shuttle bus ride to the dressing room I said well I haven't got time I just just got the kit up yeah you know, so I checked the kit no time to go anyway you know I, rush 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 yeah but I played Donington Park on a massive stage and I remember the we were walking out the, in front of the main stage, and our single at the time um, was playing through the main speakers at the main stage. Oh wow, that's that's yeah. good. I went back and having singles several times throughout the day. It was like fuck me. You get a bit of P- PRS for that, hopefully. <laughs> couple of couple of pence. You don't see it, do you? you nah. Know? nah. Yeah, so that, that that was it, you know, the the Donington thing. So awesome, a good story. Picks all my boxes. Yeah. So, I don't care anymore. You don't care. You've, yeah, exactly. You've done. Yeah, you've done. Whatever. You've done it. Whatever. Just enjoy it. It's, except I never earned a multi-million pound to go with these nah. bands and stuff. You know. That's what people people assume you're on a big stage. They assume you're earning loads of money, but yeah. it's, it doesn't work like that, is it? <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. I, I I saw. A, I thought what it was the other day, and it was like you can be, you can be at the stage where you're headlining in front of thousands of people if you're in a rock band and. You can like I think I think they used five thousand. You could be headlining in front of five thousand people a night, and you could still only be earning like a minimum wage salary yeah. at that level, you know. Yeah. Yeah. He- and that's headlining, and that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And people people don't realise they just assume you you admit you you've got loads of money and you're rich. But maybe back in the day, it probably was a bit more lucrative because people used to buy records. Yeah. And, and merchandise is good, obviously, you know. Yeah, merchandise, yeah. Or, or doing sessions, you know. I mean, some of the yeah. sessions are done are fairly well paid as well, but they, you know, few and far between and they come up now and again, you know. Yeah. Um, um, that one, I forgot to tell you, but it was that film I did. Oh, yeah, let's, t- let's, let's talk that, about that then before the end. That film was called Cody Banks to Destination London. It's about 15 years ago now, this was, I think. And... Um, the link was Martin Ace from the Man Band, and uh, his mate was um, Kevin Allen, who directed it. And he said, "I want a song for this," so we we went and recorded this song, and it's on this bloody MGM film. You know, it was in the cinemas, and then it was on Sky Movies, and then it's on bloody Channel Four, Channel Five, or and it's like, "It's my drums. That's my that's my." Because it started off with um, Tom Pat, and then snare fill. My drums are on this bloody film. Amazing. My barrier kit. It's just a woo. And on the end, is the credits are going up as well. You know, it's just, that's another awesome. mind blower. That's know? awesome, man. Yeah. Should we, yeah. 
Hollywood star. No. <laughs> anyway, nah. Yeah. Your drum, your drum my, kit. My is. drum, my premier drums were. Yeah, your drum, your drum kits were. Your drum kit was. Yeah, my premier. Awesome. That was my oh. red sparkle premier kit. Nice. Nice. So yeah, well, yeah, I think that's well. You've done almost three hours here. So. Bored you senseless now. You haven't bored me. You've been fascinating. Fascinating. I knew you would be. I knew you had a lot of stories and experience. So I think the listeners will really enjoy it as well. So thanks for thanks for taking the time on us on a Sunday. Right back. And um, I it rained a bit on this. I can't even go up my Harley Davidson. That was a bit damp. Uh, yeah, it's looking a bit. Yeah, I can see a big black cloud. I think it rained about an hour ago, didn't it? Mm-hmm. I'm on, I'm on the top floor and I could hear it, but um. Yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks for that. And uh, we'll do What's your, you're on Instagram and Twitter, are you? You're just Instagram? Yeah, I, I, I'm on all those things. I, I don't do a lot, to be honest with you, Dane. You know, no. only if I'm forced to. If anyone, <laughs> if, any, if anyone wants to follow you, do you know what your tags are? Tap Thumper 10, I think, on Instagram. That's it. That's yeah. it, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'll. I'll share them anyway when we do um when I post about the podcast and stuff. So it's, it's, it's more important for the bands I'm in really than me. I don't you know. I, That's how I feel. It's push the band, isn't it? More than yeah, I don't, you know. yeah, push yeah. So yeah, for, check out Buck and Evans and Cinnamon. Uh, really good stuff. Good yeah. musicians oh, all around. Hopefully, we'll see you. We meet up in Rockstock if this hope Rockstock's happening. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah, that'd be great. We'll uh, have a nice um, another catch up then. Fifty symbols all around, man. Yeah, we will be, I know. <laughs> but yeah, awesome. We'll uh, enjoy your afternoon. And uh, thanks again for taking the time and uh, really appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch up with you soon, all right, man? No worries, but Thank you very much. Cheers, Bob. Cheers. Yeah, yeah, yeah.